And this is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that all of the communities, all of the ummahs will be kneeling in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned Tanzila Kitabi, this is the revelation of the book from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is almighty, all wise. Indeed, in the heavens and the earth, there are signs for the believers. Now, up till now, many times you have seen ayat for non-believers. Few times we saw ayat for believers. So what does this mean? That even the mu'mineen, when they ponder upon the signs of Allah Ta'ala's greatness and power in this earth, and in the heavens in their heart will feel more, the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will settle more in their hearts. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives some examples of those signs. وَفِي خَلْكِكُمْ وَمَا and Nalta says, and indeed in your creation, and in the animals that Allah subhanahu wa has propagated on earth, and that there are numerous signs for those who have yakin or who have certainty. Next is that, then from the alternating of the night and the day and from the sustenance and provision that Allah subhanahu sends down from the sky, which means that Allah subhanahu sends down rain from the sky and that the rain revives the earth after its death by which Allah ta'ala enlivens the earth after its death. And in the shifting and turning of the winds, in all of that are signs for the qawmi yaqilun, for people who are able to, who are intelligent, who are able to, in, in, who are intelligent. These are all signs that we have done before. Just this one sign is new here, turning and changing of the winds. This can refer to wind currents. This can refer to cold and wind, uh, cold and hot, different wind currents. This can refer to the fact that sometimes the wind is productive, sometimes it is destructive, sometimes it changes and turns all of a sudden without any prediction, without even the most accurate weather forecast being able to determine that. All of that is a sign that this wind is actually flowing and blowing and turning and changing with the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tilka ayatullahi. And these indeed are the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. نَقْلُوهَا عَلَيْكَ بِالْحَقِّ And these have been recited to you بِالْحَقِّ with the truth فَبِأَيِّ حَدِيثٍ بَعْدِ اللَّهِ وَآيَاتِهِ يُؤْمِنُونَ And so what is it, in what narrative, in what fact, in what tale would they believe other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the ayat and the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what will they believe in after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his verses or again ayat here can mean his signs what does that mean that if a person does not accept the verses of Quran al-Karim that are come down with truth and what is there left for them to believe in this is a hypothetical question that if people fail to accept Quran al-Karim then there is nothing else that they can possibly accept then verse 7 onwards and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about such a person who is not going to accept Quran al-Karim that woe be, but literally means destruction and doom, woe be to every lying sinner. 
deeply lying and deeply sinful person. Afakin Athim Brother Mabalga. Who is that person who is viewed as a lying sinner? Yasma'u Ayatillahi Tutla Alehi that they listen and they hear to the verses of revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Tutla Alehi that are being recited to them. Thumma Yusidru and then what they what they do? They remain haughty and they remain mm, arrogant. They still persist in their arrogance. Yusirru mustakbiran kana lam yasma'ha That they remain so arrogant as if they had never heard it. They remain steadfast on their arrogance as if they had not heard these verses of revelation. فَبَشِّرْهُ بِأَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ So Allah Ta'ala says, and give them tidings. Sometimes bushra means glad tidings. But here obviously it's simply give them the tidings, warn them of the portent. بِأَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ Of an extremely painful punishment. So here the important thing to note is uh, that and some of us have said this is specifically referring to Abu Jahl and Nadr ibn Harith and that Nadr ibn Harith is that person because in verses number 6 Allah SWT said that what hadith means what narrative, what tale will they believe in if they don't believe in Quran though you may not have heard of the name of Nadr ibn Harith he was like Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab type one of the most severe and uh, arrogant of the kuffar and so what he used to do when he saw that people were starting to listen to Quran so he was a tradesman so he started buying all the if you will fables and tales and stories from surrounding lands and he had storytellers tell these fables and stories because he said that okay if you want to listen to fables and stories of things in the past so you might as well listen to these fables and stories and we had done this passage in Surah Luqman as well where mentioned that some people purchase futile tales and fables in order to distract people from Allah's path and making a mockery of Allah's path so this is what is uh, one possibility is he is referred to here. But like we've shown to many times, that even if a verse has a specific occasion of revelation, it does not take out the umum out of that. That means the verse still has more wide and general and sometimes universal application. So that means that anyone who listens to the verses of Quran, when they are recited to them, but they remain on their takabur, and takabur means that they think they're above needing to follow Quran, they don't need to submit to Quran, they don't need to internalize Quran, they don't need to live their life according to Quran. So every person, such person is afaq in athim. Because as Allah hasn't used the word disbeliever or mushrik or munafik here, the afaq in athim, this could apply to any mu'min, is a severe liar and is a severe sinner. Then Allah continues in verse number 9, وَإِذَا أَلِمَ مِنْ آيَاتِنَا شَيْئًا And when they come to learn, when they get knowledge about any matter in any one of our verses of revelation, اِتَّخَذَهَا huzuwa, And what do they do? They take it as a mockery. They mock it and they deride it. They are cynical and sarcastic. They take it as a joke. So for such people like that, أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ أَذَابٌ مُّهِينَ So Allah Ta'ala says, for such people like that, there will be a humiliating punishment uh, in the Akhirah. مِنْ jahannam, And before them, in, in front of them, is the fire of Jahannam. وَلَا يُغْنِي أَنْهُمْ مَا كَسَبُوا شَيْئًا And nothing that they ever did, nothing that they did or they earned, can be actions that they committed, gusp, it can also be anything they earned in this world, will be of no benefit to them, will not avail them in any way whatsoever, will not help them in any way. Nor anything that they adopted as a patron and benefactor other than Allah SWT, none of that will be able to benefit them, whether that is outright shirk that they believe in other gods and idols, 
or they thought that okay if I leave the laws of Allah Ta'ala, leave the laws of Quran well the state will protect me or so and so will protect me or the affluent and wealthy will be happy with me whatever they choose to put themselves under the benediction of something other than Allah Ta'ala, they took any as in wali other than Allah Ta'ala, all of those false awliya will be of no benefit to them on that day and indeed then they will have a severe, immense, tremendous punishment for them. Hada so Allah SWT saying that this Qur'an al-Kareem is a huda, right, and uh, this Qur'an al-Kareem is a guidance and a hudan, you can even translate the tanween for that to mean it's a tremendous hidayah. But, وَالَّذِينَ كَفْرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ But each and every one who denies and rejects the verses of revelation from the Rabb لَهُمْ أَذَابٍ مِّنْ رِجْزٍ عَلِيمٍ That they will have a punishment, uh, they will have a torment of an extremely painful agony. Or they will have a punishment from a painful agony. Verses number 12 onward, similar things that we have done before here. 12 honor Allah is going to mention His Qudrat and His Might and Power and how many things He has subjugated to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who has subjected and subjugated the oceans to you. So that the ships may sail and travel on those oceans. By the order and command, any permission of Allah subhanahu wa and so that you men thereby seek the bounty and fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa and so that you may have been grateful and appreciative to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah ta'ala in fact has subjugated and subjected for you each and everything that is in the heavens and what is on earth minhu all of this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala إِنَّ فِي ذَلَكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمِ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ Surely in that there are signs for a people who are able to reflect. So here Allah SWT is simply saying that by means of traveling in the ship you are able to conduct business and trade across continents, across countries. So Allah SWT has enabled you to earn and acquire risk. And inside everything that is in the ocean has been subjugated that there are pearls and sea food that you eat from the ocean, pearls and other things that you mine from the ocean floor. But all of these things, Allah Ta'ala has then subjugated everything to us. The lesson is that we should then subjugate ourselves to Allah SWT. This is an often mentioned theme in Quran, that Allah Ta'ala has made everything submit to you, so that you, insan, could solely submit to that one Allah SWT. And secondly, everything that Allah Ta'ala has submitted for us, for our benefit, has to be used according to the halal, should be used in a lawful way, and we must stay away from every unlawful way. كُلِّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا يَغْفِرُ لِلَّذِينَ لَا that Nabiya Karim Sassam tell the believers, say to those who believe that they should forgive those who do not look forward and who are not who do not look forward and are not hopefully expectant of the days of Allah SWT. So that Allah may repay and grant recompense to every nation for what they earned. What does this mean? So Ayamillah it can have two meanings. Number one, Ayamillah can mean the Day of Judgment itself. So there are people who are not yearning for the Day of Judgment. So the believers are told to forgive them. And notice that this is just says, Alladheena la yarjuna. It's not saying necessarily that these are disbelievers. Again, kufar, mushrikeen, munafikeen. It can be even fellow believers who are non-practicing believers or lukewarm believers or moderate believers who are not yearning for Allah Ta'ala, yearning for the last day. This is first meaning of Ayamillah. 
Second meaning of ayam in la, ayam in Arabic is sometimes when it's yom is loose in plural, ayam, it means the turning of the tide, the shifting of fortune, so to speak, as we would call in English. So they're not looking forward to those days when the fortune will change, means when the Muslimin will be ghalib and the kuffar will be maghlub. So this can be referred to perhaps Fatimakka. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa is saying, is that they fail to realize that Allah subhanahu wa changes the condition of every people over time. And if today in Makkah Makarama, this is the Makki Surah, in Makkah Makarama they ha- are able to prosecute and oppress the believers, but then the days will turn, the tide will turn, Allah subhanahu wa will make the tide turn, and they won't be looking forward to that day. What does it mean here then not to, for, uh, to forgive them? So there again the specific occasion of revelation of this verse was in Makkah Makarama. One of after Sayyidina Umar radiallahu would accept Iman. One of the kuffar of Makkah Makarama, like one of the pagans of Makkah Makarama used a very foul language and speech with him. And Sayyidina Umar was wanting to take vengeance on that person. And this verse was revealed that no, they should pardon, they should forgive such people. What does this mean? So this means that basically this is referring to what? What? To what extent does one forgive? So here, Allah SWT is not saying that you should forgive their major injustice or passively take their aggression. What it's talking about, we would in English call a minor infraction. So Allah SWT is telling mu'mineen in Makkah Makarma that look, bear with it patiently, forgive them their minor infractions. At some point, Allah SWT is going to turn the tide against them. means don't have a vengeful attitude, don't have a retributive attitude, don't have a reactive attitude. Obviously, it's going to come later. However, when it's major, uh, for example, when they send their armies against you, then obviously that you have to counter with jihad, and that is something that we had done earlier. So this is also the social laws that should affect Muslims who live in non-Muslim countries, that their pettiness or their snide, occasional snide remarks, occasional discrimination, occasional pettiness that they may have, their minor infractions, you're supposed to endure that patiently, and you should pardon them. Perhaps they may be able if they see you pardoning them, maybe the door to Iman may remain open, but if you react and are vengeful, then the door to their Iman will go away. Again, this is all of this is for such minor infractions. This is not for outright aggression, transgression, injustice. And you're going to see that that's going to come shortly. Man amilla salihan nafsi. That whomsoever does any righteous act, it will be to the benefit, benefit lam is for nafa, for the benefit of their own self. Waman asa'a fa'aleha. And whosoever commits an evil deed, a vice, a sin, then it will be aleha, Allah means it will be to the detriment of their own self. Thumma ila rabbikum turja'oon. And then indeed to your rub, each and every one of you will be returned. And thumma here can be for qurb, it's for tarafi, but it could be for qurb. You could say that indeed you will, each and every one of you will be shortly returned to your rub, will be returned to your rub soon. Allah tells us indeed we bestowed upon the Bani Israel three things. Number one, al-kitab means scripture. They say the Musa was given the Torah. Wal-hukmah, which is another thing. Hukm means wisdom. And uh, third is Nubuwa, that not just Sayyidina Musa Islam, but many, many Anbiya were sent from the Bani Israel. This is something we had done in detail last year in Surah Al-Baqarah. So this means that there are three things, books, prophets, and wisdom. 
right? And this is another way for you to understand who Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah are. We follow the Quran al-Kareem, the Hadith of Nabi Kareem Sallallahu and the Hikmah. The hikmah of following that and the hikmah of following the Quran and Sunnah is something that lies in the knowledge of the ulama and in the hearts of the awliya. وَرَزَقْنَاهُمْ مِنَ tayyibat And Allah Ta'ala says another favor that we did on the Bani Israel is that we uh, provided them, we gave them nourishment, we provided them with tayyibat, with things that were good and pure. وَفَضَّلْنَاهُمْ عَلَىٰ عَالَمِينَ And indeed we preferred them and blessed them and granted them excellence over all of the universe. At that time, the Bani Israel were favored like that. وَأَتَيْنَاهُمْ بَيَّنَاتٍ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ And then we gave them also clear proofs مِنَ الْأَمْرِ Amr here means the divine command, the divine decree, the divine order. It can also refer to deen itself that comes from the Amr of Allah SWT. What are these clear proofs? This is two meanings. Number one, bayanat are the clear miracles that Allah SWT gave Sayyidina Musa salam that we have done many times. And number two also, bayanat min al-amr can mean that in that scripture and those prophets and that wisdom that they were given were clear signs about the coming of Sayyidina Rasulullah that signaled the advent of the last and final prophet and messenger. And that then that would be the meaning of the amr of Allah SWT that the divine order and decree and command was the coming of this Qur'an al-Kareem and the coming of Nabi Kareem wasallam, and they were given bayanat about that. فَمَخْتَلَفُوا إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءُهُمُ الْإِذْنِ But they did not defer and they did not mm, they did not defer and disagree with one another until or after when uh, except after when knowledge came to them. And why did they do that? بَغْيَمْ بَيْنَهُمْ It can mean a baghawa out of rebellion. It can also mean due to enmity, hostility, hatred between themselves which is also on the basis of envy. Here the ulama say that what is mentioned here is that after this scripture and anbiya and hikmah came to them, still they disagreed with one another after that. So ilm refers to all of the knowledge contained in kitab, hukam and nabuwa, right? Also makes it clear that to have ilm or to be an alam you must have ilm of Quran, ilm of sunnah and ilm of hikmah. Khair, so what did they do? They fell into dispute. Why? Bagyam Bainahum because of this hostility, hatred, envy, enmity, jealousy means struggle for leadership. There was a struggle for leadership in these different sects of the Jews and then they, uh, they had these sectarian differences amongst and between them. And it can also mean, referring to all the way up to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that they did not accept Iman. A very few of the Jews accepted Islam. And that has been throughout history. Uh, that many Christians convert, many Hindus have converted, and many animist religions, all types of people have converted throughout history. But the number of Jews is not non-existent, and some very interestingly prominent Jews, Leopold Weiss became Muhammad Asad, and uh, Ahmad, oh, I don't even know what his name was before, Ahmad, someone, Baral, several uh, prominent Jews in Germany in particular, accepted Islam uh, later on. But, oh, Mostly in history, there have been very few Jewish converts. Uh, there have been many Mushrikeen converts, many Christian converts, many atheist converts, but relatively few Jewish converts. Indeed, Allah, indeed your Rabb means Allah that indeed your Rabb means the Rabb of the Prophet will judge and adjudicate between them on the Day of Judgment. 
about each and every matter about which they ever used to disagree and differ. Then, so this is a very important word, Quranic verse, if one of, it's come before, but one important verse, which will be sufficient to understand the concept of Sharia. So verse number 18, Surah Al-Jathiya, Surah number 45, verse 18, Allah Ta'ala says, ثُمَّ جَأَلْنَاكَ And then we placed you, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, on what? On a Sharia. Sharia means, min al-amri, on a sacred Literally, Sharia means path and way. Here it means a sacred law and a sacred... Min al-amr, again, that same amr, from the divine decree, from the divine order, from the divine command. Fattabi'ha. Therefore, you must do ittiba and follow that Sharia. And don't follow the whims and desires and fancies of those people who don't have knowledge. So this is an eye that makes it clear of the wujub or the importance of following Islamic law. Alright. And second, it means that don't follow the non-ulama. You see, when you follow the whims and desires of So people who don't have ilm, which was the ilm, the ilm was mentioned just here in verses 16. Ilm of kitab, hukum, which meant hikmah and nabuwa. So the sharia is going to be followed by following the people who have ilm of these three things. And otherwise, if you want to leave sharia the way you will do that, is follow the whims and fancies and ideologies and philosophies of who? Alladhina la ya'lamun, those who don't know, I who don't know the scripture and the sunnah and the hikmah. And that's what you find that people today have decided to leave the sacred law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to follow the ideologies and philosophies of people and lawyers and activists and speakers who don't have any knowledge of Quran or Hadith or Hikmah. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it clear in Quran. In the verse number 19. And indeed these people mean these, these alladhina la ya'lamun. If you were to follow them, they will not be able to be of any use to you. They will never avail you in any way against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed the wrongdoers, sinners, oppressors, unjust ones, some of them are patrons and helpers and benefactors to others. Wallahu waliyul muttaqeen And Allah subhanahu is the wali of the people of taqwa Allah subhanahu will be the patron, benefactor, helper of the people who fear Him who, have, who are always conscious and aware of Him And who virtues Him rightly and virtuously and piously So here what it is saying that yes these forces may help one another Which ones? Again if you look at these two verses very clearly from the contemporary context those people who will want you to follow their ideologies and whims as opposed to following Sharia, these people will never avail you against Allah Ta'ala in any way and indeed they are zalim, they are sinful, they are wrong, they are oppressive, they are unjust and they will assist one another and be protectors and patrons to one another. So then what will you have? Wallahu waliyul muttaqeen That indeed Allah SWT is the wali of the muttaqeen Hadha basairul nas Indeed these are insights Eye-opening insights Basair 
eye-opening insights Linasi for all of humanity. All of humanity can witness, right? The beauty of Sharia if it was implemented and all of humanity can witness how these non-believers will try to get the believers to leave Sharia and follow their whims and desires and how the unjust non-believers will help one another and be awliya to one another in this. So in all of this there are eye-opening insights for humanity. And in the Sharia itself also has eye-opening insights for humanity and how that can also mean the Qur'an itself and these verses, literally these verses of Qur'an uh, 18 and 19 or the entire Qur'an al-Kareem all of that can also be basairul lin-nas eye-opening insights for humanity and all of that can all be number two bahudan and also hidayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and number three wa rahmatun and also a rahma a mercy but for who liqomi yuqinun for such people who have yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you'll have to have yaqeen to follow sharia and not follow the desires of people who don't have ilm and when you have that yaqeen then the following of the sharia you will open up and you will be amazed at how beautiful and perfect it is it then will be hidayah for you it will be a mercy for you but for who liqomi yuqinun and this is why again some ulama say that until you build the yaqeen in people, you cannot enact sharia on a people who are not liqomi yuqinun, or at least at the very least have not been given the access in terms of dawah and Islamic education, civic education and Islam means tarbiyah and ta'lim and tazkiyah and islah. Until they've been given that, at least access to yaqeen, you cannot enact uh, certain of the legal codes. But that is one position. Allah knows best. Verse 21 onwards. Am hasim al-ladinat tarahu sayyaati an taj'aluhum kal-ladina amanu That do those who commit evil deeds, who perpetrate sin, do they think that they will be treated and they will be made equal to the al-ladina amanu wa amilu salihat to those who have iman and do righteous deeds? Sawa'an mahyahum mamamatum and that their lives and their death they will be equal in their life and in their death. Sa'ama yahkumun indeed it is evil. It is evil and what a bad judgment. Evil and evil and terrible is this judgment that they have made. Now, they judge the matter to be such that they will be treated the same. This is Anaya Surah number forty five verse twenty one, which is really talking about secularism today. That people think that people will only be based on morality. That how we live will be based on our morality. It has nothing to do with Iman and nothing to do with Amal Saleh. So the Mu'min and the Kafir will be judged also on morality. The person who does acts of worship and acts of spirituality and the person who has no spirituality will also be equally judged by their morality. So much so that they say that even if there is a day of judgment, even then we will be judged only on morality, not on the basis of spirituality. So this is an ayah where Allah is answering them that no, it can never be like that. Kufr and Iman can never be equal. Amal Saleh and Ibadah and not Ibadah can never be equal. Obedience and disobedience to Allah SWT can never be equal. Morality cannot level the playing field. And many times we explain to you in this way that one of the myths of the modern Muslim mindset is that you can have Islam is based on morality alone. That's incorrect. Yes, it's also to say that you should not have spirituality without morality. So to have salah and psalm and zakah and hajj without adab and akhlaq. But you have to follow Quran. Quran is teaching you need spirituality and morality both. There is no option to do one or the other. 
or neither, the only option the Quran gives is to do both. Anybody who calls you to morality without spirituality is against Quran. And yes, if anybody calls you to spirituality without morality, that is also against Quran. So here Allah Ta'ala is making clear that these things can never be equal. And this is also when Allah Ta'ala said in life and in death, Allah Ta'ala means in this world and in the next. Now in the next you can understand in the Akhir in terms of Allah Ta'ala's reward and Allah Ta'ala's punishment. But the question is what does it mean in this world? In this world, in their life, Allah Ta'ala is not saying in terms of the physical material benefits in this world. Allah Ta'ala is saying in terms of in this world, in the life of this world, getting Allah Ta'ala's rahmah, his barakah, his fadl, his karam, his inaya, his nusrat. In this world, the person who is an unbeliever and is an atheist or doesn't do righteous actions will not be the same in getting these things from Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And even in this world, getting the love of Allah subhanahu ta'ala, I mean being the beloved of Allah subhanahu ta'ala, will not happen to just moral but a-spiritual, secular or atheist type people. Alright? So even in this world, it makes a difference. That can only be appreciated. Now the non-practicing believer can't tell that. They only look at material differences. But if they were to become a practicing, spiritually feeling believer, then they would feel Allah Ta'ala's love and mercy coming onto their heart. And they would know that if I didn't have Iman and Amal Salih, I wouldn't have that mercy and love in this world. And that would indeed be a difference of day and night, of earth and sky. Then the last uh, verse 22 And Allah has created the heavens and the earth in absolute truth and in absolute justice. What does this mean? Uh, this is that Allah has created all of this precisely that these two groups are not going to be treated equal and all of this has been done so that uh, one of the reasons Allah Ta'ala has created the heavens and the earth is for people to recognize Allah Ta'ala's might and to make this choice and to give them that choice to choose between virtue and vice. Why? So that ultimately in the Day of Judgment, Allah Ta'ala can recompense and requit every single person, means every single self and soul, for everything that they did, for each and everything that they did, or they earned or they committed, and no single one of them will be oppressed or wronged in any way on that day. Verse number 23, famous ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem, أَفَرَيْتَ مَنِ اتَّخَذَ إِلَاهُهُ هَوَىٰ That have you, do you not gaze in wonder and amazement? Are you not stupefied by that person who is taken as their God? What هَوَىٰهُ هَوَىٰهُ Their own desires, their own whims and fancies, their own wishes, their own preferences, their own likes, their own dislikes, all of that has become their God. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made him go astray. And this can mean number one, it can mean that Allah ta'ala has made him go, Allah ta'ala has knowingly made him go astray. But number, that's actually number two. The number one meaning of this is, that Allah ta'ala has let this person go astray, even though Allah ilm, even though they have ilm of deen. So they are Allah ilm, they have knowledge of deen. But still, despite the knowledge they get, they choose to follow their own whims, their own desires, their own ideologies. They prefer their view to the view that emanates from the knowledge that has been mentioned. 
Alright? So what does this mean? This is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying it's not just mushrikeen. People, not just taking idols as shirk. People have gone so low that they take their own whim and desire, fancy word in English for this, for hawaz, caprice. Whatever catches their fancy as their ilah. Now ilah then here doesn't necessarily only always mean worship. God can also be what you obey, what you submit to. Remember Taslim. So they obey and submit to their own desires. Allah doesn't mean ibadah. You're not doing sajda to your desire literally, right? That is for the literal type of shirk. Here Allah means that to which they submit and obey. And they submit and obey to their own whims and desires, whatever they catch as fancy. That is how low people have gone. And they're also very fickle in that. Because a person's hawa is very also like you have, you know, it's very fickle. Today somebody desires one thing, tomorrow they desire something else, today their view is this, tomorrow their opinion is that. So it's fluctuating, it's fickle, it's not madhabood, it's not toast. So, and they do this despite their ilm. So this is also an ayah that, uh, you know, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it can be outright for unbelievers, but it's also been understood, especially the ulama used to recite this ayah very fearfully, afraid that despite their ilm and knowledge, would less they ever follow their own personal whims and desires. And yes, certainly, obviously, it can happen to a believer, that a believer can fall prey to their desires, and you feel this is widespread, actually, in our ummah, that people have become slaves to their desires, creatures of their nafs, following their carnal pleasures, and leaving all of the spirituality and morality of deen uh, and just falling into every single thing that they want and not caring at all anymore about what is halal and what is haram. And this is why Sayyidina Rasulullah once said in a hadith that none of you has perfected their iman until his desires become sub- subjected or submitted to the desires of deen. So we have to align our desires with the desires of deen. And now here what happens in the Allah Ta'ala follows this up. That Allah Ta'ala says that He set a seal on their hearing, which is the ability to listen, right? Their ears have a seal on them, means they listen but they can't hear. It goes in one ear, goes out the other ear. And their qalb, their spiritual heart also become sealed. Why? So Allah is saying this is the consequence of following your own whims and desires when you have ilm, when you have knowledge that would have been sufficient to tell you otherwise. This is what happens when a person gets knowledge of deen, but they still follow their lust, they still follow their desires. Then after a time it may come a point when they say, I, they still have the ilm, they don't lose the ilm, but they say what I listen to it doesn't benefit me anymore. It doesn't move me anymore. I'm not affected anymore. That's because they were too busy following their desires. They say, nothing hits my kalb anymore. Nothing hits my heart anymore. I can't do zikr in my kalb anymore. That's because they were following their desires. Even all the time, ala ilm, even though they were on the knowledge, they had the knowledge. So, فَمَنْ يَهْدِهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ اللَّهِ That who indeed can guide such a person aside from Allah SWT, which means after Allah SWT, means other than Allah SWT, أَفَلَا تَذَذَكَّرُونَ That will you not take heed and will you not remember? Right? Dhikr is from remembering and will you not remember and take heed and admonishment. So this is a very important thing that we have to save ourselves from falling, our whims and desires. Verse 24 is a response of the atheist justifying his hedonism, justifying why all they want to do is follow their desires. وَقَالُوا مَا هِيَ إِلَّا حَيَاتُنَا الدُّنْيَا 
So there, what is there in life other than the life of this world? I mean, what is there other than the life of our world, our life in this world? It means that they say there's nothing, there's nothing other than our life in this world. It also means that mahiya, what is this other than simply our life in this world? Namutu wa nahya, and we live and then we die. That it is only time that will bring us to an end. Dahar means the time or the age or the passing of time. So what they're saying is, ma yuhlikuna, nothing will annihilate us except the passing of time. And this is a classic thing of uh, the atheists that because they don't believe in resurrection, they don't believe Allah Ta'ala commands their death, they say it's just time. And time is passing, and time flies, and time will go away, and nothing can affect us except for time. So time itself is a creation of Allah SWT. They don't realize that. And the passage of time takes place on the decree of Allah SWT. And still, right, time itself is not an answer for everything. Right, because it's not always just the passage of time. It can be illness, it can be disease, it can be accident, it can be calamity. It can be so many other ways in which Allah SWT will annihilate them, whether that annihilation means death, or what it means the ultimate annihilation on the Day of Judgment. And they have no basis in knowledge for what they are saying. And this is just something that they merely conjecture. This is their mere speculation and conjecture. Right, and you should know, by the way, that Nabi Yaqeem said, uh, we just leave it in that. Alright, cool. And then when the verses of revelation are recited to them, ayatuna bayyinat, the clear and clarifying verses of revelation are recited to them, ma'kana hujjatuhum, they have no hujja, they have no counter evidence, they have no proof, no argument that they can bring except what? Illa except what? Ankalu except that they say, that bring forth our forefathers if indeed you are telling the truth. What does it mean that they would tell the Prophet that okay, there can be life after death, resurrect them. Resurrect these forefathers of ours and then they will tell us what, whether the deen you have brought is true. If resurrection is possible, go resurrect them. So, kul, so say to them, Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Allah Ta'ala is going to be the one who brings you back to life, not the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and then Allah Ta'ala was the one who originally gave you life, and then He will give you death. Then Allah Ta'ala will gather all of you collectively on the Day of Judgment. La Bafihi on a day about which concerning which there is no doubt whatsoever. However, the vast majority of people don't know. They don't have the knowledge. Now ilm here is referring to a type of yaqeen also. But they don't have certain knowledge. They don't really know. They don't really know in their hearts and believe in their minds that the Day of Judgment is going to come. But their denial of the Day of Judgment will not halt the Day of Judgment in any way and the Day of Judgment will come irrespective of their denying of it. And this is also the classic answer that we've mentioned to Allah saying that the Day of Judgment will come. They cannot hasten it, they cannot usher it, they cannot demand the person to bring it on them, but it will happen. And to Allah alone belongs the dominion and sovereignty of the heavens and the earth. And on that day on which the end of time will happen, on which the hour will end, 
Yaksaro Muptilun. So this will be the day that the Muptilun, and this is Am, all types of people of all falsehood, Yaksaro, they will be Khasirin, means they will be in a state of abject and utter loss. All the people who were engaged in batil and spreading batil, all the people, irrespective of whatever type of falsehood, kufar, mushrikeen, munafikeen, muslimin, sinning, mu'mineen, wrongdoers, oppressors, etc. And then here comes now with this ayah, the name of the surah, وَتَرَا كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ And then you will see every single ummah will be on their knees. كُلُّ أُمَّةٍ تُدْعَى إِلَىٰ كِتَابِهَا And every single ummah will be summoned toward its record. Kitab doesn't mean Quran, it means their record in their book of deeds, as you're going to see in 29. Al-Yawma Al-Yawma tudzawna ma kuntum ta'malun And then a caller will call out, a decree will be issued that today you will be recompensed, repaid, requited for each and everything that you ever used to do. Alright. هَذَا كِتَابُنَا يَنْتِكُ عَلَيْكُمْ And this is the record that is going to speak and testify عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْحَقِّ Against you with absolute truth and justice إِنَّا كُنَّا نَسْتَنْسِخُ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ And says, indeed we used to transcribe and record each and every single thing that you were ever, ever, that you ever used to do. Alright. So here... What does it mean, Jathiyah? So the Ummah will be, every Ummah will be on their knees. Some have asked this question, that does this apply to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, Or does this apply to the Anbiya? Or does this apply to the pious Mu'mineen? Because Allah Ta'ala had said in Surah Al-Naml, which we did earlier, that, uh, that they will be safe, the pious believers will be safe from the terror of that day. So some then have taken that ayah and suggested that no, this kneeling will be everyone except for the Anbiya and the pious Mu'mineen. Second belief, however, is that no, everyone will kneel. This will not be part of the terror. Because there's no mention here of terror per se. There's no mention of punishment or affliction in this passage. This is just the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in that sense, everyone will be kneeling in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The kneeling will not be an account of fear or terror but, or punishment. It will be on, on account of the awe and reverence for the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that sense, nobody has more awe and reverence for Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then the Anbiya and the Siddiqeen and the Salihin Mu'mini. And as far as those who believe and do righteous deeds فَيُدْخِلُهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ And Allah Ta'ala will admit them and enter into His mercy. Now, فِي رَحْمَتِهِ means, not that they're going to enter into Allah Ta'ala and become one with Him. رَحْمَتِهِ means Jannah. Why does Allah Ta'ala say this, admit them into His divine mercy for Jannah? Because Jannah is the ultimate embodiment and manifestation of Allah Ta'ala's mercy. Just like Allah Ta'ala's rahmah is limitless and endless and infinite, just like that Jannah is limitless, infinite, eternal, so when Allah Ta'ala is saying that He's going to admit them into Jannah, He has chosen sometimes in Quran to refer to Jannah as His mercy. Second, it also means fi can also mean the silik, I mean by His mercy. Allah Ta'ala admit them, you mean admit them into Jannah by means of His mercy, because that is a hadith in Rasulullah Sallallahu that no one will enter into Jannah except by the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, not on the basis of Iman and Amal Salih, but rather the real thing that enables a person to enter Jannah is only and only out of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's mercy. 
That's why the Muhaddithin wrote that actually, now this may be very intense for you, but the Muhaddithin wrote that if Allah Ta'ala put every single person of Iman and Amal Salih in Jahannam, even that would be his haq, and that would be absolutely right and just for him. It's only and only due to the rahmah and mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that anybody will be admitted into Jannah. Zalika huwa al-fawzul mubeen, and this will be the clear and manifest foes, success, uh, and victory, this being entered into Allah Ta'ala, by means of Allah Ta'ala's infinitely divine mercy to be entered into Jannah. As far as those who disbelieve, So then they will be asked that were not, Allah Ta'ala will ask them that were not my verses recited unto you, but instead you chose to adopt arrogance, in spite of that your arrogance you were arrogant. وَكُنْتُمْ قَوْمًا مُجْرِمِينَ And then you chose to be a sinful nation. Mujrim, you're criminal. You're sinful. You're wrongdoers. You're oppressors. وَإِذَا كِيلَ إِنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقٌّ وَالسَّاعَةُ لَا رَيْبِ فِيهَا قُدُّ مَا نَدْرِي مَسَّاعَ That when it was said, when it was said to you that uh, the promise of Allah SWT is true, And wasa'a, and about when it was said, and when it was mentioned to you about that hour and that end of time, about which concerning which there is no doubt, kultum, what did you say? Ma masa'a, that we don't know what this sa'a is, we don't know what the end of time is, we don't know what this day of judgment is. Inna dhunnu illa wa ma nahnu And they said, and what they say, we used to just conjecture about it, we would, we suppose it to be just merely a speculation. We suppose it and hold it to be merely a conjecture and speculation. And we were not people who were ever sure or convinced about it. So this, and this is the reality, right? So this you can say if you want as I about the agnostic. So then Allah Ta'ala will make it clear and manifest and will make appear to them the evil of what they used to do and all of the things that they used to sneer at and mock at sarcastically, cynically what they used to deride all of that will be manifest and will surround them on that day you can also say that they will be surrounded by the consequences of their mockery and derision and it will, again it will be said to them اليوم ننساكم كما نسيتم لكا أيومكم هذا Allah Akbar that Allah Ta'ala will say on this day that we forget you just as you chose to forget this meeting Yomikum Hada, your meeting with me and your meeting with Allah Ta'ala on this day of yours just like that you will also be forgotten and your abode will be the fire of Jahannam and therein you shall have no helpers no saviors no rescuers whatsoever and all of this is why because you used to take the verses of Allah Ta'ala as a jest as a mockery you used to mock at them and the, the worldly life of this world, ghurur put you in ghurur, beguiled you, deceived you, deluded you about the reality of Allah Ta'ala and His verses and His signs. And on that day, they will neither be removed, they will not be removed or extricated from there, there means any of the fire. 
and nor will they be granted any favor or any opportunity to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way. So it means that this is a final climactic conclusion for the disbelievers when they end up in this fire. Here it says that they will not be asked to repent, uh, so they will not be yeah, they will not be able to repent or gain Allah Ta'ala's favor or please Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in any way. Alhamdu and to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala alone belongs Alhamd, all praise. Rabbi Samawati wa Rabbil Ard and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the Rabb and the Lord of the heavens and the earth. Rabbil Alameen, indeed He is the Rabb of the Alameen. Walahul Kibriya'u fi Samawati wa Ard. And not only is He the Rabb of Samawati wa Ard, Walahu, but to Allah Ta'ala alone is the Al Kibriya, is the majesty and the might and the power of the heavens and the earth. Walahul Azizul Hakim. And indeed Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is almighty and is all wise. So this Walahul Kibriya'u means that Kibriya'i belongs to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala alone. As Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith Qudsi, that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said that Kibriya'i is my mm, cloak and no one can come under my cloak. And another hadith that no one can have a drop of kibr otherwise it will prevent them from entering into Jannah on the Day of Judgment. So here, this is what Allah SWT is saying. So the notion here is that the atheist and the agnostic and the mocker and the derider and the cynic and the skeptic about Deen ultimately does so as was said many times, because of your because of your takabbur, because of your kibriyai. So Allah SWT is saying that no kibriyai and all of the samawat and the earth, kibriyai belongs to Allah SWT alone. Surat al-Ahqaf. Ahqaf is plural of hiqf and hiqf just like you can say fi'l and it's plural as af'al hiqf is plural as ahqaf and ahqaf hiqf means these sand dunes uh, that were found in Yemen so this is going to come this is going to come when it, it comes in the surah that word I will explain to you its particular meaning in that context but these were it means large sand dunes that sometimes even sometimes shift in the desert but there was a place in Yemen where you had series and series of very tall and high uh, sand dunes so here is this is what this surah is titled after this word when it's going to come in the surah alright this is also again from the Hawameen and this is also a Makki surah أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حاميم تنزيل الكتاب من الله العزيز الحكيم Indeed this is the revelation that this book is the revealed book that is from Allah SWT who is Almighty Allah SWT all wise Allah SWT ما خلقنا السماوات والأرض وما بينهما إلا بالحق Allah تصل فيه من أكرد the heavens and the earth and all that is between the two إلا بالحق except with justice except with due proportion except with truth except with purpose وأجل مسمى and it has been created only for a definitive appointed term, yani which will expire, وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَمَّا أُنذِرُوا مُعْرِذُونَ And those who disbelieve, they turn away and they're averse to the warnings that have been given to them. Right, so they turn away and they're averse from that. So, قُلْ سَيْتَدَمْ نَبِيَ كَرِيمْ سَلَسَلَمْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونَ اللَّهِ that tell me, uh, did you see what it is that you are making dua to, that you are praying to, calling upon other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Madha khalaku min al ardi. Then why don't you show me what it is that these idols that you pray to, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is it that they have created in the earth? Or, amnahum shirkun fis samawat, 
of his samawat or do they have any partnership or what, what part or share do they have in the heavens ituni bi kitabim min qabl hadha or bring me a book a scripture of, of that has come to you before this oh athadatin it means a fragment of a scripture athar has been mentioned in the books of tafsir that refers to the fragments or you can call it dictums or fragments that also came from anbiya so do you have a book or do you have a fragment min ilm do you have a book of knowledge or a fragment of book of knowledge in to bring it to me if you have it in kuntum sadiqin if indeed you are from the truthful so here Sayyidina Rasulullah is asking them that look your belief in these other gods has it come to you in any scripture right can you because the Jewish community was there they're not doing shirk it's addressing the mushrikeen the Christians are there they're not doing shirk so even it's not in any of their books and the type of shirk that the mushrikeen of Mecca were doing the Quraysh were doing the Jews and Christians aren't doing that do you have anything can you claim that you have any basis of in revelation or knowledge or a fragment even thereof وَمَنْ أَذَلُّ مِمَّنْ يَدْعُو مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ That who is there who can be more astray than one who prays to other than Allah SWT who calls to beings besides Allah SWT مَنْ لَا يَسْتَجِيبُ لَهُ And those are beings each and every one of which can, cannot answer him in any way إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ All the way into the day of judgment they could call upon them and they would never be able to answer them وَهُمْ أَنْ دُعَائِهِمْ غَافِلُونَ In fact they are completely heedless and unaware of the prayers and calls and supplications of these people. And when humanity will be gathered unresurrected, then, then there are two ways to translate this. First way is that indeed those idols will be enemies to them, the people who worship them, and those idols will deny and reject the worship that they offered. Or it can be the other way around that they will become enemies to their idols and they will deny and reject, they will disavow themselves of the worship that they used to do of those idols. But you can translate this in both ways. And then when the verses of our revelation were clear verses, clear and clarifying verses of our revelation were recited to them, then those who disbelieve, what did they say? So what did they say concerning the truth that had come to them? So what did they say about that? They said this is nothing other than Sihr Mubin. This is an obvious enchantment. This is manifest magic. This is clear conjuring. This is what they used to say. Or, in verse number 8, or... Um, or are they saying that Nabi Yukrim has forged and fabricated this Quran, that he's come up with it himself? So in an intense way Allah tells us, Kul, say to them Nabi Yukrim Sallam, in that if I have invented it, if I have forged and fabricated, invented all of this, Fala then you people will not even be able to assist me in any way against Allah Subhanahu You will be of no avail to me against Allah Subhanahu Means that if Allah, I would have to face Allah Ta'ala myself alone for a crime of lying and fabrication where I had to have done that. That Allah Subhanahu knows best about what it is that you are dwelling on, what you are discussing. And Allah Subhanahu is sufficient as a witness 
Baini wa bainakum between me and between you wa huwa al-ghafurur rahim and Allah does all forgiving all merciful so what is happening here at the end here at the end Allah subhanahu wa is holding out his mercy to them once again that if Allah Ta'ala is going to be sufficient on the day of judgment as a witness and he will punish you and he will decide, he will dec- he will show that I didn't fabricate it but still Allah Ta'ala holds out his mercy that still if you repent then what will you find? Wahul Ghufurur Rahim. He is all forgiving, all merciful. He can waive all of these uh, transgressions and sins and all of your disbelief up to this point. Kul say to them also, Nabi Yakrim, so some say this as well. Ma kuntu bid'am min rusuli. I'm I'm not a bid'ah from the prophets. What does it mean that I'm not something new? I'm not the, something new from the messengers. It can also mean that I'm not something novel so novel you could also say I'm not the first of the messengers I'm not just something new nor am I something novel what does it mean that messengers and prophets have come before me so fine I'm not something unprecedented amongst the messengers and I have no idea I don't know what will be done with me or with you Right, I mean, ultimately, Allah SWT knows what will happen. So here Nabi Karim Sallallahu is, if you will, showing that he doesn't have 100% of the ilmul ghayb. So the first thing is that why is Prophet saying this, that I'm not unprecedented, I'm not novel, I'm not new, is that because there were many anbiya before Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu and all these mushrikeen of Makkah knew about that. They knew the Jews, they knew Christians, they'd heard about prophets, about scriptures, they're familiar with this concept. But they always felt that those prophets and scriptures were sent to people other than them. But they knew about it. So now the Prophet, Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet in the Quran that you know about this and now you should actually be happy that uh, a prophet and a messenger has been sent to you. Right? You should be happy that a prophet and a messenger has been sent to you. Okay. And then the second thing that the Prophet said, uh, and really, I mean, if you think about it, atheism... Atheism, if you just look at these past one or two eyes, I mean, the claim of the atheist, even though they, you know, some of them are much more crude about it and some of them can be tried to be more civilized about it, but ultimately, obviously, if they don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't believe in the Prophet, so what will they have to say about the historical figure, Muhammad bin Abdullah sallallahu alayhi They'll say he was a liar. they say he wasn't really a prophet because obviously we don't believe in a God. That's what they will say. But to be an atheist means really to have to accept without proof, because there's no proof that the Prophet is a liar. They will say there's no proof it's true. Well, that can be debated. What we view as proof, they don't view as proof. But there's no proof he's a liar either, right? There's no proof. And to be an atheist, you have to believe that every single prophet that came to humanity was a liar. It's not just our Nabi Akram to be an atheist, you have to believe that Isa was a liar, Musa, they're all historical figures, they all accepted these people existed historically. That every single one of them lied. And they all came up with the same lie, which is Akhirah, Jannah, Jahannam, they all, at least those things that are common, they came up with the same lie. And what were their motives for lying? So, I mean, when you think about it, you, there's no real rational explanation that an atheist can give. He is also doing it on blind faith. 
There is no rational, empirical, scientific proof that all of these prophets lied and all came up with the same lies, right? So actually, atheism is nothing other than another type of faith and in fact, it is the most blind of faiths. Let alone that it is the most blinding of faith, but it is also the most blind of faith too, without any basis in proof whatsoever to believe that every single prophet was a liar and fabricator. Every single scripture was fabrication. Um, that is a really rather tremendous thing to believe about human history. Here, so where were we? Yes, but the second thing the Prophet is saying that, and I don't know what will happen to me and what will happen to you, means he now is saying, look, I don't know the future. Right? Does it mean the Prophet is saying, I know that believers will go to Jannah and disbelievers will go to Jahannam. But what on this earth is going to happen to me and you, I don't know. I mean, they're not doing it for any material reason on earth. In fact, this is the response to atheism. Nabi is saying here, I'm not doing anything for this earth as a social reformer or to shape the course of history or to change the path of history. I have no idea about that. I'm not interested in that at all. That's what it means. About in this earth, in the course of this earth. Rather... In attabi'u illa ma yuha ilayya. I follow nothing other than, and I follow but what has been sent down as wahi, what has been revealed to me. Wa ma ana illa mubin, and I'm nothing than a clear warner whose warnings are clear, and his warnings will also clarify what a person should do. Kul ara'aytum in kana min indillahi. So tell, so then, next thing, so Allah Ta'ala is training the Prophet in this early Makan Surah how to do dawah on the Mushrikin. And it's very useful for us how to do dawah on an atheist, right? So kul, so say to them the Prophet, so the next thing Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala tells Nabiya Kareem Khamsan to say to them is ara'aytum in kana min indillahi. That tell me. That in Kana min indillahi, Kana means that if this Quran is indeed from Allah SWT, وَكَفَرْتُمْ بِهِ However, then you still, and yet you still deny and disbelieve in it. وَشَّهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِّن بَنِي Israel. Yet there is a witness from the Bani Israel who has testified Allah Mithlihi to the like of this, yani that this Quran is true. فَآمَنَ وَاسْتَقْبَرْتُمْ And that person has believed and you are arrogant in Allah Allah that indeed Allah SWT will never guide a community who is oppressive and a community who is unjust. So what does this mean? So one is there's a hadith in Sahih Bukhari that one of the Bani Israel who was um, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Salam he accepted Deen of Islam and that this ayah is referring to him. Slight awkwardness there is that because he accepted Islam in the Madani period and this is a Makki Surah. So it's a Makki Ayah. Those are details in Tafsir. But anyway, the Ulama of Tafsir responded that in any case saying this represents a portent. Allah Ta'ala is mentioning here something that is about to come. Why should that make a difference to the Mushrikeen that if one of the Bani Israel, so one Jew has accepted Islam, why would that make any difference to the Bani Israel? In any case, that would make a difference to them, to the Mushrikeen in any case, because the Mushrikeen had accepted the fact that the Jews were knowledgeable people, and they had respect for the Jewish scholars. And when the Jews settled in Medina Manorah, this is what the Jews would say, that we have come here because the last deen, last book, last prophet is coming. 
So when one of the Jews itself has testified, so this is what Allah SWT is saying, then once the Jews have accepted that, and, and they respected the Jews so much, a lot of the questions that we did in Quran, yes, alunak on ruh, or they ask you about the ruh, they ask you about Zulkurnayn, they ask you about ashab kahf those are things the Jews fed them to ask. And then when they went back with the answers, the answers were exactly what the Jews said they should be. So all of this should make them realize that look, if they, they are even, there's even people like them accepting Islam, so there's nothing that should prevent you from accepting Islam. But then Allah SWT mentions here, what was it that's preventing them? Their arrogance. And that is their zulm. And when they become like that, then Allah SWT cannot send His hadaya on a community like that. That the disbelievers say, those who disbelieve say to those who believe, that lokana khairan, lokana, again those of you know Arabic, the ism of the kana is inside the kana, just like over there it was Quran, lokana khairan means if this deen were good, if this deen was khair, right? If it, if this, yeah, if this deen was khair, then, if this deen were good, then you would not have taken to it you would not have taken to it before us. What again, this is also part of the arrogance that all good things would come to them first. And this was something also part of the arrogance that the poor communities are accepting Islam where they haven't yet accepted it. And it was the arrogance of the affluent and the wealthy that they didn't want to. And this is just generally the psyche of human beings. That they think that all good things should come to them and they regard themselves as inherently superior to others. Uh, so basically the kuffar were viewing themselves to be superior <coughs> And this is the same thing, the same old lies. That if they had not been guided by means of Quran, what they would say, what would they say? They would say that this is an ifkun kadim, that this is an old lie, an old fabrication. You can even say they would say this is an ancient myth. If they don't take a lesson from it, that if they don't take heed and lesson from it, if they're not guided by it, then what will they say? They will simply say that these are old lies, these are ancient myths. Women kablihi kitabu Musa, Imama wa Rahma. And before this, you know, before Quran al-Kareem, was the scripture of Sayyidina Musa salam. So what is that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking of a Torah. And Imam wa Rahma can either mean the Torah itself was a leader and a mercy, or it can mean that the Musa himself was the leader and a mercy. وَهَذَا كِتَابٌ مُصَدِّقٌ لِسَانًا And this book, in this Quran al-Kanim, is musaddik. It means it is just confirming what has already come in the Torah. Lisanul <coughs> Arabiya and it is in Arabic language, it's a confirmation in Arabic, put it that way. It's an Arabic confirmation of what has come in earlier scriptures. The and so that it may warn those who are wrong and who are oppressed. And so it may serve as a glad tidings and a bearer of glad tidings and joy. Those who strive in excellence, those who are of virtue and nobility when it comes to their following deen. So what do you have here? First thing is that this book, the book of Musa Islam was a book, means that it was a book that was accepted by Jews and Christians. And the Jews and Christians, and it itself testified, those, the Kitab of Musa, the Torah, is something accepted by both the Jews and the Christians, the Ahl Kitab. And even up till today, they both accept the Old Testament type Torah. And, the Jew, that book, the Kitab of Musa, testifies to the coming of the Quran and the Prophet 
So in that sense, that book is doing the stake of this one, and this one is also doing the stake of that one. Second, that this is a witness from Bani Israel, so this is referring to verse number 10, that the, that's another meaning that people take, that the witness from Bani Israel is the book of Sayyidina Musa Islam. And third, which is referring to verse number 9, when the Prophet said that, Ma kuntu bid'an, that I'm not something novel and new and unprecedented, means that yes, books have come before, prophets have come before, and you have within you, in this community of Medina Menorah, uh, the scriptures of Musa alayhi salam. Khair, verse 13, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهُ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ Indeed, those who say that our Rabb is Allah, and then and then they have istiqama and I'll explain what that is in a moment then then there will be no fear on them nor shall they grieve so that part I'd explain to you when a similar ayah came a few surahs ago I think in Hamim Sadda I'd explain to you uh, this meant, but I didn't properly explain to you what istikama is so istikama means that a person believes so strongly with such certain conviction from the bottom of their heart that number one they have an unshakable unalterable faith thereafter number two they have ikhlas in all of their a'mal and their deeds number three istikama means they persevere they hold on unwaveringly to all the commandments and injunctions of Allah subhanahu ta'ala means they do all the ta'at all the obedience and they refrain from all of the disobedience. So this is a small word, istikama, but it's referring to really the entire deen, being steadfast and persevering, but on the entire deen, so a person who has the belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah ta'ala alone is their rub, and then they have this istikama, then they will have no fear, nor shall they grieve. Ulaika ashabul Jannah, and they will be the companions of Jannah, of, of heaven and paradise, Khalidina Fiha, and they will dwell therein forever. Jazaam biman kanu ya'malun, and that will be a reward for all of the deeds that they ever used to do. Another meaning, a bit rough between verses 13 and 14, is istikama means that they're so steadfast and they persevere so much on deen that they would remain on deen forever. Even if they were to live forever on earth, they have istikama, they would remain on deen forever. And that is the rough between verses 13 and 14 because they are so unrelenting in their deen, Allah Ta'ala will give them an unrelenting reward which is the eternal, eternal reward in Jannah. So that's another maybe good word for you for istikama in English, unrelenting. Then verse number 15 onwards, now Allah Ta'ala 15, Allah Ta'ala is going to talk about parents. Now what is the rub between this? So before Allah Ta'ala mentioned istikamat, that a person who believes that their rub is Allah, not that the rub is any human being, not even that their parents are rub, their rub is Allah. And they are the abd of that rub, they are servant and slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then they have istikamat, unrelenting, persevering obedience on deen. So now when they have these two things, iman and istikama, and nothing can shake them from deen, neither can parents shake the children from deen, nor can the children shake the parents from deen, then comes the rub of ayah number 15, And Allah says, and we have enjoined, that means we've bequeathed, we've enjoyed on humanity, goodness and kindness, ihsan, noble kindness and goodness, be waladehi to their two parents. And that is am, here waladeh is am, now it comes khas, hamalathu ummuhu, and specifically now his mother bore him, right, kurhan. Kurha means, 
uh, as opposed to karhan kurha. So karh means karaha, kurha means toil and hardship. So she bore him in toil and hardship. Wawadhaathu kurha, and she gave birth to him in toil and hardship. This is referring to the labor pains. This is referring to the pains of pregnancy. And second is the actual pain of labor pain and delivery. Wahamluhu wafisaluhu thalathuna shahra. Hamluhu means the process of bearing, so being pregnant. Wafisaluhu, and then weaning the child, weaning or wet nursing. So the pregnancy and gestation and the fisal, the weaning and wet nursing. Thalathuna shahra, that will take 30 months. Okay. So first thing over here, 30 months, that it means two and a half years. So this is joined by the ulama with uh, this other passage in Quran that we had done which had mentioned two years so actually this means ulama have taken from this the fatwa that the minimum period of pregnancy is six months in normal is nine months but we have things that are called premature baby so the minimum is six months and then the 24 months that you add uh, after that is the two years in which it's, up, it's not required to do it for the full two years, but is permissible up to two years for a woman to wet nurse or suckle her child herself or to have somebody else do that. Some ulama have taken the position that, okay, it's better to fulfill the full two years if your child is premature and born after six months, but if your child is born after nine months, in pregnancy as is normally the standard then you can wet nurse or suck on the child for 21 months because that will be one year and nine months right and that is the way you will also complete the 30 months so that's the first thing to be mentioned over here second is that so all of this is the weaning and then there's another thing hatta idha balaga ashuddahu wa balaga arba'ina sana so until that child reaches ashuddahu, their maturity, wa and reaches the age of 40 years. Now what does this mean? There are three different meanings that this could possibly mean ashudda. First meaning is to take these ashudda also to mean 40. So it means it would translate them that when they reach the maturity and the age of 40 years, meaning ashudda equals 40 years. However, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas has said Ashuddha means 18. And another call I had given you before means Ashuddha means 33. So 18 is the beginning of youth. The rough between all of this is 18 is the beginning of youth. 33 is the climax of youth. And from 33 to 40 you plateau, you maintain that level of Shiddha until you reach 40 and then at 40 you go down. So 18, it starts going up, it peaks at 33, it plateaus up till 40, and it starts going down till 40. That is the rough between these three aqual. And when a person then reaches that 40, all, what do they do? Alright? So this is first, so we gave you this concept of the Islamic stages of development. Let me just mention a hadith to you of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Well, let me, which I'll, let me go and do the days first and I'll do the du'a. And the, the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, Nabiya Karim Sassim mentioned that when a person, when a believing, practicing believer, not person, when a believing, practicing believer reaches the age of 40, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes slightly lenient in 
taking his account, means more forgiving of his sins. When they reach 60, Allah Ta'ala gives him tawfiq of inaba, which means that Allah Ta'ala will bless him with the ability to turn to Allah Ta'ala in penitence and sincerely. And when they reach 70, Allah Ta'ala will make all the celestial and heavenly beings love that person. When that believing, practicing believer reaches 80, then Allah Ta'ala will erase all of their sins. And then when, if they reach 90, then Allah Ta'ala will forgive everything for them. They will be marfu'ul qalam. They will be, now everything they do is forgiven. And they can make dua and their family will be forgiven. Because obviously when family members are taking care of a 90 plus year old person, so that is not just a, a tremendous khidmat, but obviously it's a khidmat that's been going on for 10, 20, 30 years. So now if it, the family members are able to somehow earn the du'as of that 90 plus person, if they make du'a of maghfirah for their family members, Allah Ta'ala will forgive their family members. So this is one of the, again, to remind you again, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad is one of the earliest collections of hadith. Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal Rimullah Ta'ala from the Tabai Tabin, one of the great Fuqaha Muhaddithin. Alright, now the Dua. So very interesting that the Dua when they reach 40. And this shows really the difference between our deen, the Quranic concept of life in the West. In the West when a person hits 40 they have midlife crisis. And the Quran is going to, when you hit 40, you're going to have midlife shukr. <laughs> There's a midlife dua, and you're going to have midlife shukr. So what is that dua? Qala. So he makes this dua, Rabbi awzi'ni an ushkara an ashkura ni'matak. نعمتك التي أنعمت علي وعلى والدي وأنا أعمل صالحا ترضاه وأصلح لي في ذريتي إني تبت إليك وإني من المسلمين. So this is a beautiful dua. Not that you need to wait till you're forty to recite that. And certainly a shudda, it could be anywhere to be recited all the way from eighteen to forty. So all of you fall in that category. A handful of you are past forty, right? So this is a beautiful du'a that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in Quran al-Kareem and a lot of adab in this du'a as well. So what is the first thing that uh, is being taught to make du'a? And it's also possible, also slight possibility here that the person makes this du'a when they're 40 because this is maybe when they lose their parents. But this is also a concept that be kind to your parents and throughout, 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 throughout. And then when you lose your parents, make this dua. Why? Because the Nabiya Karim says, the age of my ummah will be 60 odd something. And a generation is viewed to be 20 years. So if people normally die at the age of 60, especially at that time, when a person reaches 40 and the generation is 20 years ahead, so it means when they hit 40 or roughly in their 40s is when their parents will pass away. So one aspect of this dua as well is also it's a dua to be made when one's parents pass away, irrespective of what age a person is at. So all of that are to make this dua from 18 to 40, to make it at 40, to make it when parents passed away. And obviously still the dua can be made at any time whatsoever. So now then let's look a little bit at this dua. Rabbi awzi'ni an ashkura ne'mataka that Allah I want you to be the best word for this. Asmat, I want you to inspire me, grant me the ability, make me such that an ashkura netmataka that I am grateful for the for your blessings, allati anamta alayya those blessings and bounties that you bestowed on me. 
وَعَلَى وَالِدَيَّ And those bounties and blessings that you sent on my two parents. My parents. This is the first dua. So the first dua is one of shukr. This is an adab that when a person makes dua to Allah Ta'ala because many times when you're making dua you're asking Allah Ta'ala for something. And obviously then it's something you have, don't have. So you're asking Allah Ta'ala for more. But in the beginning then you should at least do shukr of what you already have. Right? Do shukr of what it is that Allah Ta'ala has already given you and what He's given your parents. So this is the first adab of this dua. Second is... وَأَنْ أَعْمَلَ صَالِحًا That before even I ask, I want to do amal salih. I want to bestow upon me the ability, grace me, enable me such that I may be able to perform such actions that please you. I may be able to do some good that is pleasing to you. And then number three, Then the third thing is now to have a worry or a fikr concern from one's offspring. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, it can mean many things here. Uh, it can mean create, it can mean make me good in regard to my offspring. It can mean it can also be for a person who doesn't have offspring perhaps that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant me the ability to have offspring. It can also mean that aslihli that make my offspring from the salihin, make them from the virtuous, righteous, pious believers. It can also mean that give them good capabilities, which is to be salihin, but endow them with the sifat of mu'minana. And then last in dua, inni tubtu ilayka, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I make toba to you. So this is the notion, this is how a person should feel in the middle of their life, right? That this is a time for them to reflect. It's necessary to show gratitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Necessary for them to thank Allah ta'ala for the blessings Allah ta'ala has given them. Right? And uh, also that they should reflect at this moment. And they should make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For any and everything that they did. And then once again they should pledge themselves to a life of submission and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again Allah ta'ala make me from amongst those who surrender and submit and who obey to you, who obey you absolutely and entirely. Right? So this uh, is this dua. Another thing that was mentioned about these uh, three things that Allah ta'ala mentions about the mother in the Quran is that she bore him in pregnancy with hardship then she delivered him second thing is delivery and third is the weaning so these are three things so in that very well known hadith in Sahih Bukhari and in even many other narrators that Sayyidina Burayrana said that once a person asked the Prophet that who should I give the most khidma who is my priority in khidma your mother second time again your mother third time he asked and then and then your mother and then the fourth time when the person asked and then and then the fourth time the Prophet said father so the, why does the Muhaddisin said that because of this ayah Allah subhanahu repeated the right of the mother thrice because she had the hardship of bearing and pregnancy the hardship of labor pains and delivery and then the hardship of weaning and suckling and providing generally for the baby for the for the child at the baby infant stage, so that's why Nabi Karim Sallallahu mentioned doing khidmat of the mother thrice. Alright. So, and, okay, now verse 16. Ulaikal ladina natakambalu anhum ahsanama amilu. So these are the people. Which are the people? The ones who have iman, who have istikama on deen, and who are kind to their parents. These are the people that. 
نَتَكَمْبَلُوا أَنْهُمْ أَحْ And who make this dua, and who make this dua, and who have all of those feelings mentioned in that dua, these are the people that Allah Ta'ala says that we accept from them, أَحْسَنَ مَا amilu. We accept from them the best of what they have done. And this I'd explain to you that some of the Mufassirun have said, that this means that whatever amal you did, Allah Ta'ala will accept the best of it. He will take your best fajr and set the rate of all fajrs at that. He will take the best sabr you had and set the rate of all of your sabrs at that. That was the example we gave you at that time of the pile of mangoes and you have to pay the price for the best one in them for all of them. Right? وَنَتَجَاوَزُ أَنْ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ And Allah Ta'ala says that we will overlook. We will overlook for them their sayyat, their sins. Uh, أصحاب, and the third thing about them, الْجَنَّةِ And they will be in the companion, they will be the comp- um, they will be from the companions of Jannah. And indeed the promise is true Which one? That promise which indeed they have ever been promised Means the promise of Jannah is the true promise That they have been promised throughout Now this verse number 17 is about The child who is rebellious to the father The parents The atheist children of believing parents Atheist or sinful uh, children of the Believing parents. So, for that one who says to his two parents, Uf, so the first thing is that Uf, but it has come before that you're not allowed to say Uf, that was a separate ayah. Allah Ta'ala said, don't say Uf to your parents, means don't say anything, or don't even have any expression, or don't have any demeanor that shows a frustration or anger or vexation with your parents. And here is now that child who is not following that hukum of Qur'an, and what do they do? They first say Uf, so they say, you know, people sometimes there's times that fie on you, means... But that's, you know, some very old British English. It means uff, you know, in Urdu also I think you people say uff, you know, not supposed to. But sometimes you do, right? So uff, they say uff to their parents. That is say, literally say uff, which is exactly what Allah said they weren't supposed to say. But what does he say to them then? So if uff in the kuma may uff be on the two of you, so fie upon both of you, ata'idanini an ukhraja wakan khalat. That are you warning me, uh, sorry, did you promise me that I will be resurrected? Uh, that I will be resurrected. And then even the generations before me have passed away. So what do they do? Then they respond. They First they do istighatha. Means they seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then they say to their child, Wailaka, they say that, uh, mm, Amin, that you should, they seek the help of Allah SWT and say, Woe to you, believe, Amin, believe, in the wa'dalai haqqun, that indeed the promise of Allah Ta'ala is true, is really going to happen. Fuyukulu, but however, the child, the rebellious child, the atheist child, the disbelieving child sends back to them, Mahada illa asatirul awwaleen. This is nothing other than the fables of the ancients, the tales of the early predecessors, the tales of the first people. So this is now uh, Allah SWT mentioning the unfortunate situation where a child may be untrue uh, to their parents, or the child 
maybe a disbeliever who mocks at their parents and doesn't accept the dawah that their parents sent upon him. And these are those such are those against whom Allah Ta'ala's sentence and decree will be passed and be fulfilled. And all of these have passed in communities that have come before. Minal Jinni will from the jinn and humanity in whom Kanu Khasirin. Indeed all of them are ever and all certain losers. They are all already lost. And to each and every single one there will be darajat, there will be degrees and ranks according to what they have done, according to the deeds that they did. So that Allah Ta'ala may give them full recompense, they may get full recompense and requital for the deeds that they did. And they will not be shown, they will not be wronged or shown the least in justice. So here what we have here is very important that they are darajat in Jannah. That they are darajat in Jannah. And no deed of any mu'min will be wasted due to in uh, there was a hadith I had taken out for you which I had done that for you before that for those who make jihad fi sabilillah Allah Ta'ala has made 100 darajat and the 100th darajah is genital for those on top of which is the arsh of al-Rahman and nothing else and then the Prophet said therefore you should make the wafer for those but this is a notion that everyone will be given darajat so obviously given that there will be darajat of people in akhirah there are darajat and levels and degrees and ranks of people in this world as well verse number 20 and this will be the day when the disbelievers will be presented in front of the fire of Jahannam or put before the fire and what will be said to them adhabtum adhabtum tayyibatikum fi hayatikum dunya that all of your tayyibat all of the good deeds and noble deeds that you did tayyibat all of the good and noble things that you did adhabtum they've all gone You've wasted them, you've used them up. Where fi hayatikum and dunya in your life that you spent in the world, in your worldly life. Was tamtaktum biha and you had enjoyed it and you relished those good deeds. So what does it mean? That's what we've explained to you before. That these are the disbelievers who didn't were atheists or denied Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for them the world was just a place of enjoyment. No matter how noble, refined, civilized, opera, symphony that enjoyment may be, it was just a place of enjoyment for them. And so Allah SWT is saying is whatever good deeds that you did, because they didn't make a distinction between halal and haram, between iman and kufr, between dunya and akhirah, they didn't accept the Qur'an al-Kareem, didn't accept the anbiya and mursaleen. So here Allah SWT is saying in Qur'an that whatever good you did, you were rewarded for it in the world. And that is important to know that whatever a non-believer, whatever good, virtue, nobility, charity, morality, kindness they do, Allah Ta'ala lets them enjoy it in this world. And then what will happen then to Manate Falioma? And as far as today, Allah Ta'ala will say, Tudzona Azabul Huni, that you will be disgraced, you will be recompensed with the disgracing punishment. Why? Because you were arrogant on earth. What does it mean? That because of your arrogance on earth, that you're unjust and without any basis arrogance on earth, then why did you choose to deny and disbelieve in the scripture and the prophet? That was due to your arrogance. And also due to your fisk. 
Fisk means your sinful deeds, because obviously the most charitable philanthropist is also going to do things that we would view as haram, that Allah wants to view as haram, because they have to be halal and haram. So notwithstanding their charity, philanthropy, good deeds, relief and humanitarian work, they're doing things that are called fisk, because they're engaging in the haram. So their refusal to accept iman, and second, they're continuing and doing things that in, that in Allah Ta'ala's eyes, and that he, in Allah Ta'ala's regard, and he had declared as haram, they will, because of those two things, have to face the fire of Jahannam. And this is this notion also that as believers we never want that any good deed that we do, we don't want to get the enjoyment of that good deed on this earth. Right? But rather we want the enjoyment of all our deeds to come to us in the Akhirah. This is why in a very well-known hadith when Sayyidina Umar we came to the Prophet ﷺ and Sayyidina Rasul was lying down on a straw mat and the marks of the straw were on his back that made an impression on his back and Sayyidina Umar felt because he loved the Prophet ﷺ, so he felt sad that Sayyidina Rasul had those marks so he said Ya Rasul pray to Allah Ta'ala to grant prosperity to our Ummah as well the Romans and Persians have so much wealth and they don't even believe in Allah SWT. so Sayyidina Rasul immediately sat up and said Ya Ibn Khattab or son of Khattab are you still living under the same delusion and misconception that we want to seek that you're still seeking this world that those are the people who were given the enjoyments of this world would you not be pleased to be the one who has been given the enjoyments of the akhirah of the next life right okay now verse 21 you're going to have this word al ahkaf after which the surah is named mudhkur akha Ad, that literally means remember the brother of Ad. The brother of Ad means the Prophet Sayyidina Hud who was sent to them, being referred to as a brother because he was from amongst them. So remember Sayyidina Hud who was the, from the Prophet and from amongst the people of Ad, who what? Id andarakomahu when he warned his community bil ahkaf. When he warned his people, either you can say of the wine, of the winding sand dunes or you could say Bil Akaf means by the winding sand dunes and this is more likely what it is that Sayyidina Hud he took his community and he admonished them and he warned them at a place at the maqam of these long curved winding sand dunes and there were people and there were people who were warners had already come before him and had women khalfihi and warners who had already will pass after him Allah ta'budu illallah that will you not do ibadah only only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means you should only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed I and he said Hulaysam is addressing his people that indeed I fear for you a punishment of that tremendous day I fear the punishment of a tremendous day for you so Qawlu so they replied to him ajittana lita'fikana that if you come to us to turn us away from our gods, and they said that okay, you should bring to us, bring to us what you are promising us if indeed you are amongst the truthful. In other words, bring that punishment upon us that you claim will happen to us uh, if indeed you are truthful. So Qala so Sayyidina Hullah said to us, ilmu That no knowledge means knowledge about who will be punished and when will they be punished and how will they be punished. Knowledge of that is only with Allah SWT. 
And I can just deliver to you and communicate and convey to you that which the message with which I have been sent. However, however, I notice and I can perceive that you are an ignorant people. And then, okay. Now what is what is the punishment that's going to come to them is these clouds. So falamma ra'ohu aridan that when they saw this what seemed like a mass of clouds, mustakbila odiatihin that was coming and facing and facing or approaching their valley, Kalu Hada Aridum Mumtiruna, they said that oh this mass of clouds is going to bring us rain. That's what they thought. Balhua Mastajaltum, but rather it was something and it what but what it is instead is precisely that which you sought to hasten. Exactly they kept saying it bring the punishment on us. This is exactly that which you sought to hasten and bring quicker Bihi. Rehun fiha Azabun Alim and there's a wind in it that will wreak a painful punishment. So one could imagine perhaps that those were actually not rain clouds but they were storm clouds bringing whatever you want to call it, a twister, a hurricane, tempest, tornado, whatever the appropriate word is. Tudammiru kullashe And that cloud destroyed each and every single thing bi amrida by command of its rub, I mean the rub of that cloud by the command of the rub who sent it. Fa'asbahu And then in the morning, when morning came, La yura illa masakinuhum. There was nothing to be seen except the dwellings in which they lived. So it means like ruins, but the dwellings remain. They didn't bring down, but it's like abandoned ghost town. Nothing remained except the dwellings in which they lived. Kadalik and Nadzil Komal Mujrimin, Allah said, thus to be requit and we send our retribution on a community of criminals, of wrongdoers, of sinful people. That Allah says indeed we had established them in such a position and given them such powers that if we had given them to you, if we had given them to you, and we had given them, uh, sorry, we had given them a position and given them such powers that we have not given you, meaning that the people of Ad are even more powerful than the. Mushrikina Makamakarama. And Allah says that we had given them earing, uh, ears, ears, he, ears meaning hearing, eyes meaning sight, and afida and hearts. Thama agna anhum samuhum wala absaruhum wala afidatuhum. But however, their ears and eyes and hearts did not avail them in any way. Minshay did not help them at all. Idkanu yajhaduna bi ayatillah. When? Why? Because there was no benefit them all. Why? Because they were rejecting and denying the verses of Allah Ta'ala's revelation. You can also say because they rejected the signs of Allah Ta'ala. The same came to them. So then all of that which they had taken for a joke and mocked and were sarcastic about, all of that came to encompass and surround them. And Allah Ta'ala says, And we destroyed populations, haulakum uh, populations around you. And we laid out clearly those signs so that perhaps the Allahum Yarjeun, perhaps they might return to Allah Subhanahu And then why were they not helped? I mean, all of these people were also idol worshipping communities. So why 
than those who they had taken Mindun Ilahi, other than Allah Subhanahu as Qurban and Aleha as their close gods, why did they not come to the rescue? Why did they not prove to be of any avail or help to them? anhum. But no, they lost all of their falsehood. They lost all of their gods. Their gods were lost to them. And this is their fabrication and their falsehood. And this is all that they have lied and invented about Allah SWT. Alright. So it means that they were destroyed and none of their false gods were able to help them. This we had mentioned to you before that the cities of Ad, the, this is the sand dunes of Yemen, the cities of Ad and the sand dunes are in Yemen which is the south of Makkah Makarama and the ruins of the people of Thamud we did before when the north east towards Sham and when the Makkans used to go twice a year to Sham they used to pass by those ruins. On verse 29 one of your favorite things, Jinn. When sarafna ilayka nafaram minal jinni يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقُرْآنِ فَلَمَّا هَذَرُوهُ قَالُوا قَالُوا أَنْسِتُ فَلَمَّا كُذِيَ وَلَوْ فَلَمَّا كُذِيَ وَلَوْ إِلَى قَوْمِهِمْ مُنْذِرِينَ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying is that we turned a group of the jinn Remember that time when we turned or directed a group of the jinn towards you, Nabi Akram sallallahu and they listened intently to the Qur'an and then when they came into the, I mean, they presented themselves to listen to that Quran, call what did they say? Ansitu, be silent. Means be silent, listen to it intently. And then when the recitation was completed or when it was concluded, wallo, then they turned back, and they turned back to their people, mundarin as warners. Means they, and what did they say? Call they said, Ya Komina, Ya Komina, that oh our kindred community people, Inna Sametna Kitaban, we have indeed come, we have heard and listened to a book, a scripture, Unzila Mimba de Musa, that has been revealed after Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, Musaddikan Lima Baina Yadehi, and it is confirming, it has come as a verifier and confirming what was before it, Yahdi Ilal Haq, and it is guiding towards truth, Wa Ila Tariqim Mustaqim, so normally it's Siratul Mustaqim. Here you have the term Tariq, Tariqim Mustaqim, and is guiding towards the straight path. And then again the jinn who had heard Quran called to their fellows, Ya Qawmana, that O our Qawm, our community, our fellow kindred jinn, Ajibu Da'i Allah, that you should respond and hearken to the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Wa'aminu bihi, and you should believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah ta'ala will forgive you, He who will forgive for you your sins, Yujrikum min azabin aliman who will deliver you or save you from uh, a tor- a painful punishment. And whosoever does not hearken and respond to the call of Allah, and there will be no one who can they cannot escape in anywhere. Literally it means that there will be no nothing that can Disable the punishment of Allah Ta'ala overcoming them on earth. And they will have no protectors other than Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Indeed such people, yani who denied to respond to the call of Allah Subhanahu such people are fi mubin. They are in obvious error, they are manifestly astray. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْ أَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Did not see that Allah Ta'ala is that being who is created in the heavens and the earth. وَلَمْ يَعْيَ بِخَلْقِهِنَّ 
biqadirin ala an yuhyi that yuhil mota and do they, do they not see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being who created the heavens and the earth and Allah ta'ala did not tire at all from minding that creation from tending to or creating that creation and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who has able to give life to the dead Bala, yes indeed, certainly Indeed that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over each and every single thing Alright, so what is this concept of the jinn? So this coming a bit more in Surah Jinn Surah Jinn, Surah 72 verses 1 to 19 There will be discussion of this They make mention how the jinn listen to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam. There are many such incidents that are mentioned in hadith, about five or six incidents that the Muhammadin have counted when the jinn listen to Qur'an al-Karim. In fact, I think... I got one incident to read to you. Fair, one incident is that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood was on terrorists that the Prophet went and took him with him to uh, the settlement of the jinn. And at that point, Nabi Yukrim himself recited Qur'an al-Karim to them. But, when the Prophet took Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood, he drew a line, very well known in Hadith, he drew a line and told Abdullah, don't cross this line until I come back. So Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood stayed there. But it's a very long narration with certain variants. But one aspect of that I will just tell you, that he said he heard all types of sounds. And he was worried for the Prophet but he didn't cross. So when the Prophet came back to him, he asked him, that, oh, did you take some rest? Did you sleep? And Sayyidina Abdullah said, no, Yasusam, how could I sleep when I was afraid for you? Right? And so he remained awake the whole time. And the thought kept, and kept saying that the, the thought kept occurring to me to go back and call some people and together we should cross the line and find out what is happening. But I wasn't sure and I just remained stuck on this line. So I'm just telling you this part of that incident to show you the love that Sayyidina Rasulullah had for Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood and vice versa. And yes, certainly a distinction of his that Sayyidina Rasulullah took him with him for that particular meeting. Then another hadith which is more relevant to this, and this has been narrated by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and also the Muslim Imam Ahmad Abdullah, that you may remember earlier we did in Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prevented the jinn from eavesdropping and listening to the discourses that took place in the heavens. So when the jinn realized this, that they could no longer hear, so the jinns conferred amongst one another. Again, very long narration of hadith, but the jinn conferred with one another that what has happened that when we go upwards to the end and means again, Samawat means the end or the frontiers or the horizons of physical creation, we're no longer able to hear what's going on in the Sashram. Something must have happened. So they, they split up and they started traveling the earth and trying to find out what has happened. So then one group of jinn, because they thought that some new event, some major event must have happened on earth, due to which Allah subhanahu is not letting us listen to those discourses anymore. So one of those groups of jinn who were spreading out to different parts of the world to investigate this arrived in the Hijaz, arrived in the Arabian Peninsula. And when Sayyidina was once at a place called Batni Nakhla, and with him and the Prophet and some Sahaba were at a place called Batrin Nakhla and they were intending towards this early Makkan period, pre-Hijra, they were going to the fair of Uqaz. Uqaz was this, basically this major trade fair that the Arabs had set up and the Prophet was going there thinking that lots of people would be there from different communities. It was a good opportunity to give dawah to lots of Arabs from different communities. So the Prophet and the Sahaba Ikram were about to go there and then the Prophet was leading Fajr Salah in Batni Nakhla and this group of angels happened to be there and they happened to hear. And then after they heard Quran they realized that this is the reason 
that this is now the Quran has been revealed and now we will not be able to eavesdrop on the heavenly gatherings anymore and that some but there's no necessarily link between this hadith and this passage so you have many hadith and you have this passage and then the passage in Surah Jinn which verses are referring to which hadith Allahu Alam but in any case it's clear in the Quran that the jinn uh, you know had accepted iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah and then these mu'minin jinn went and they, you can call them actually rather sahaba jinn Yes, that the Muhammadan said, they're Sahaba Jinn, and then they went on to their other communities and tried to get more of them to become Sahaba Jinn. And obviously, like any other, one can just conjecture that like any other situation, they met with some success, and they also met with some opposition. Alright. Here there was one notion where they said that uh, this is a book that has been revealed after Musa al-Islam. Some commentators have suggested that this means that these Jinn were Jew, Jew Jinn. Because they were Jewish jinn, Christian jinn, Mushrikeen jinn, Mu'mineen jinn. Today they're also Muslimin jinn. Yes. Some of them study in the Madaris. I don't... Well, sure. We won't get into that. But... All the more reason for you to... Or maybe for some of you, all the more reason not for you to go to the Malissa. Depending on your temperament. Depending on your temperament. But there's no real, you know, this is not necessary that these jinn were Jews. Maybe they were just jinns who had heard the scripture of Musa salam and are mentioning that at this point that this is another narration, right? Uh, here the commentators have talked about this a lot, that why don't they mention Isa salam why did they mention Musa salam but nothing, a lot of interesting ilmi discussion, but nothing that anyone can say conclusively. One interesting thing about this, however, passage of Quran, and to the extent that I was able to look at it, this was what we were able to find is that uh, let's just go back to the Arabic here Allah SWT mentions the callers of the jinn are saying what? that if you believe in Allah SWT Allah will save you from a painful punishment but there is no mention here of Jannah whereas always when Allah SWT talks about believers it's not just this that you will be safe from the punishment but also that you will and the ones who don't believe will go to Jahannam. So in fact, and in fact, there's no verse. Many ulama have written this, uh, and I'm just going to do it. The modern them that obviously no verse of Quran a person can tell. They also say there's no hadith at all in which Allah Taala has ever in any and the, the Prophet has mentioned any hadith that the jinn will go to Jannah. So that's why some ulama have differed on this issue. Some say, okay, even though it's silent, but it's understood that all mu'minin will go to Jannah, be there insan or jinn. And some of this is going to come in Surah Rahman also, because that's a lot about the twin, the twain of the turu, the insan and jinn. So maybe we'll talk about it a bit over there. But some of the ulama's view is that, no, the jinn won't go to Jannah. Only Mu'minin Insan will go to Jannah. And Mu'minin Jinn, it's just their reward for their Iman is that they won't go to Jahannam. They will just be turned into dust like the animals and the rest of the physical creation. Alright. Khair Allah Allah Ta'ala knows best. This we did. Verse 34. I did this for you. And that will be the day when the disbelievers will be presented in front of the fire of Jahannam. And they will be asked, look now, is this not the truth? All of the people will say, yes, certainly. And they will say, certainly. And then they will take a qasam. Wow, again, it's a qasam. Yes, certainly is the truth. Indeed, we swear by our Rabb. Now looking at Jahannam, that is absolutely haq. 
Qala, then it would be said to them, Fazukul Azab Bima Kuntum Takfurun. So now go taste that punishment due to uh, as a as due to all of the things that you used to disbelieve in. So this is a very also very strong passage because one would think that here not one one has no right to think such a thing. The Quran makes it clear that when the disbelievers are at Jahannam, even when they attest to its reality, even when they swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't lessen their punishment in any way, and they're immediately then met with their saying what Rabbina they're immediately met retorted the it is retorted to them Fazukul Adab that you should go taste that which now you testify to be true because of all of the disbelief that you did in this world. Right? Verse 35, last verse of Surah Surah Al-Ahqaf. is addressed to Sayyidina to some that have patient, 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 be patient and patiently endure. Again, I told you before, sabr means in English patience, endurance, steadfastness, perseverance. All of that is mentioned here. Kama sabara ulul azmi min al-rusul, as did the ulul azm from the prophets and the anbiya. Ulul azm literally means those who had resolve. I would say ulul azm, those of the rusul had resolve. What does this mean? First interpretation is that this refers to all of the anbiya. All of the Anbiya had were resolute and steadfast of Ulul Azam. Second interpretation is that this refers to those 18 Anbiya that are mentioned in Surah Anam, Surah 6, verses number 83 to 86. So there are 18 particular Anbiya that are mentioned over there. Third is more recently what we did in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah 33, verse, verse 7 or 17. Apologies for not being able to read my own handwriting. Verse 33, either verse 7 or 17, where Allah subhanahu wa mentioned these four Anbiya, Sayyidina Nuh Islam, Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam, Sayyidina Musa Islam, Sayyidina Isa Islam, and obviously uh, the Prophet Islam is included amongst the Ulul Azam Anbiya. And so this is the third view. Uh, our own Mashaikh have preferred the third view that the Ulul Azam Anbiya are Sayyidina Nuh Islam, Ibrahim Islam, Sayyidina Musa Islam, Sayyidina Isa Islam, and because Sayyidina Islam obviously lives up to this injunction and thereby he also becomes one of the Ulul Azam Anbiya. وَلَا تَحْتَعْجِلَّهُمْ And you should not be, uh, you should not hasten, uh, you should not be hasty about others. Who are these others? كَأَنَّهُمْ يَوْمَ يَرَوْنَ مَا And they're those others who on that day indeed they will see, they will be shown clearly what it is that they were promised. And what will they feel? لَمْ يَلْبَثُ إِلَّا سَاعَةٍ مِّن نَهَارٍ They will feel that they lived in this world just but a moment of a day. Just a moment of a day. بَلَاغٌ فَهَلْ يُحْلَكُ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ And then indeed this is a message. بَلَاغ That this is a message. بَلَاغ can mean just this ayah. This ayah is a message. Can mean this passage is a message. Can mean this surah is a message. Can mean this whole entire Qur'an al-Kareem is a message. فَهَلْ يُحْلَكُ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ That who will be destroyed? Can any be destroyed except for that community which is fasik? Now again, this is not kufr. And this is something always we watch in Quran. Different words. Mushrikun, kafirun, munafikun, mujrimin, zalimin, fasikun. So these are different words. So fisk are those who are sinners. So it means a sinful community will be destroyed. 
And again, to the fisk is arm. It's not khas to kufr. Fisk can take place amongst the mu'mineen as well. It means the sinning believers will be destroyed. Alright, so this is the end of this surah. Next surah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is surah number 47. so here you have in very there in verse number two the reason why the surah is named this is a but this is not from the Hawameen. You can see now, after you finally now reach that surah, which does not have Hamim. So the Hawameen have ended here. And uh, however, just like the surah Hawameen, those surahs are held to be especially pointing out virtues and merits of Quran. This surah is especially pointing out the virtue and merit of Risala, of the belief in Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. Also like the Hawameen surahs of Makki, surah Muhammad, is Madani, so it is a later post Hijri revelation. Here the Prophet says, and those who disbelieve and those who stop people from the path of Allah subhanahu Allah subhanahu will lay to waste their deeds. Literally means lay to waste their deeds or their deeds were allowed to be lost, means they will be rendered null and void. So here what is this I saying? One thing is being non-religious and one thing is being anti-religion. Right? And so this first I, because when you're talking about saddu ansabilillah, that means people who are stopping people from deen. So this is the people who are anti-religious, people who are against religion preach against deen or actively preach atheism or preach some type of secular, faithless, godless secularism in any or preach, preach some type of enlightened moderation anything that is against the deen, Quran and sunnah they are saddu ansabilillah they are stopping people, preventing people from the path of Allah so Allah Ta'ala says all of their action and acts will be lost to them will come to naught will be rendered null and void and those who have iman do righteous acts and good deeds and those who believe in that which was revealed or sent down to the Prophet and they know that it is the truth from their Rabb then Allah Ta'ala will forgive and for them and expiate for them all of their sins and Allah Ta'ala will rectify their situation alright So this verse, sorry, and this is because This is because the disbelievers uh, follow batil, they follow falsehood, and the believers, those who believe it, they are following truth. Min Rabbihim, a truth that has come to them from the Rabb. Kadalika Yadribullahu Linasi Amthalahum. And thus does Allah subhanahu wa coin the example for just as Allah Ta'ala draw a comparison for people, just as just as Allah subhanahu wa relate their example for the people. So here what is it saying that in these first three verses Allah subhanahu wa is mentioning that the Mu'min and the Kufar are clearly different. And no matter how many good deeds and services that kuffar carry out, if they're stopping people from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then all those deeds will come about to be nothing. 
And here, this verse also, Surah number 2, is clear that in order to be successful in the Day of Judgment, you have to believe in Quran and Sunnah. You have to believe Wa'amanu. So this Alifna Amanu who have Iman. Wa'amilu Salihat do Amala Saleh. Wa and Amanu Biman Nuzila Ala Muhammad. They also believe in what was revealed on the Prophet ﷺ. Means in order to get salvation from the Qur'an onward, you have to believe in the Qur'an and the Prophet ﷺ. This is something I'd explain in detail when we did those, surah, those ayahs in Surah Bakr and Surah Al Imran that people today misquote to suggest that Jews, Christians, Sabians, Medians, anyone who does good deeds and believes in the Akhirah will be in Jannah. I explained those ayahs in detail. And this ayah is another answer uh, to that misconception that people propagate through those eyes. Alright, and here, uh, what does it mean that Allah sponsor relates for people their examples? So it means Allah, Allah mentions exactly this condition that mu'mineen and kuffar will be in different places in the Akhirah. Alright, now verse number 4 and onward there's going to be some ahkam of jihad. This is something that I did in detail last year again. Uh, I did it at one point when the Akam of Jihad came, I did a whole detailed discussion on Jihad. So you'd have to understand these verses in light of that discussion, which I cannot repeat right now, but I will comment on a few specific things in this verse. When you confront, when you meet the disbelievers in battle, uh, when you meet or confront the disbelievers in battle, Literally it means that you should strike their necks. So here, uh, now when does this jihad take place and when, does, when is jihad allowed? All of this is something that I've explained to earlier. Uh, but very simply, let's say that when you are faced with aggression and you have to march forth to defend yourself against aggression or sometimes you have to take offensive action to also preempt aggression and injustice or offensive action to eliminate injustice either way when that is done so here Allah SWT is teaching in Quran that those disbelievers who actually come with the intent to kill you in battle you have to try to kill them not merely wound them or maim them so the punishment for attempted murder of mu'mineen and especially attempted murder of sahaba and especially attempted murder of Sayyidina is that you should aim for their neck which means you should try to strike them down in battle right and there's nothing to be this is what any good military strategy would say uh, this is nothing for any Muslim to be terrified about that how can you say these things I can retain my passport and say this uh, because this is what any military strategy would say that when you're in battle and the enemy has come to kill you then you should also strike to kill them however then the second thing Allah SWT mentions, it's a bit difficult to translate this next sentence, let's say, and then, until when you have broken their strength thoroughly, then tie fast the bond by making them captives. So, broken their strength thoroughly, حَتَّى إِذَا أَثْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ فَشُدُّوا so the second part is fine, that you tie their bond. Uh, yes, fine, you can say broken. It would be like if you thrashed them. When you thoroughly thrashed them, uh, means when you really are victorious, then you should stop. 
you should stop. And then when it says you've tied the bond or you should make the shackle strong, means then you should take prisoners. You only have to fight aggressors such that you decapacitate them such that they're no longer capable of aggression. Then you can no longer kill them. Even if they didn't, the rest of them standing, they did come with the intention to kill you. At that point, you stop and you take prisoners. This is basically what it means. Alright, so these are the ahkam of jihad. Then after that, فَإِمَّا مَنَّمْ بَعْدُ وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً This very concise, this is the power of the Arabic language. Mannam means that either then you set them free unconditionally, without any, just set them free entirely, as a favor to them, or you s- ransom them off. You set them free for ransom. Okay, fida'an means that you ransom them off. And ransom can mean both that you take money, or prisoner exchange, that you ransom them off, or perhaps they have some Muslim prisoners, right? That is also there. Hatta tada al-harb Until, uh, how can you, literally it's tada al-harbu awzaraha that war will lay down and set down its ozar, war will set down its burdens. That's how you literally put it. Means the point is that you're trying to end war until the war has thrown down its load of arms. Okay. I would say war has put down its burdens, but war has put down its bar- burdens or put down its own arms. Um and thus shall it be, and so it is. Minhum, if Allah SWT had wished, then Allah SWT will surely uh, take vengeance upon them. But rather, Allah SWT wishes to test some of you by means of some others. And those who were slain in the path of Allah subhanahu their act will never ever be in vain. Sayyadihim, Allah subhanahu will surely soon guide them. And Allah subhanahu will make their affair whole. Allah subhanahu will improve their lot. Allah subhanahu will set right their state of affairs. And, and Allah subhanahu will enter them into Jannah. Lahum, and this is the Jannah that Allah has announced for them. But it also can be into Jannah that Allah Ta'ala has introduced to them. Or Allah Ta'ala had er- earlier made known to them. Some ahkam that pertain to this. Alright. So first of all that we have here is that... Uh, there are three things that were mentioned here. Release them unconditionally. Exchange them for fellow Muslim prisoners. Or exchange them for monetary ransom. There were two things that were done earlier, and this I'd also noted for you in Surah Alman Surah Al-Anfal. And that was for the prisoners of Badr. And what happened for the prisoners of Badr, uh, the decision to ransom them off was reprimanded by Allah subhanahu wa Quran, and in that there was a notion that they should have been executed instead. So the question is that do you execute prisoners or can you ransom them off? And this is yes, and so it's unfold. So this is a long discussion. Uh, long discussion. Some commentators have viewed this verse as abrogating that one. Other commentators have viewed that both verses remain. Uh, basically, what I would suggest to you is that the options remain to the Amir al who is the leader of the Islamic army and the leader of Islamic people. 
whether he finds that which part, the particular battle that they find themselves in, which battle of the Prophet does it resemble the most. And that is the way that they are taught and trained that when you find the conditions similar to this incident, then you should apply the rulings similar to that one. But if you find the conditions that you are in similar to another incident, you should apply the rulings that were from that one. So in that sense, no verse is actually abrogated. If your conditions are more like those described in Surah Al-Anfal, you will do what Allah Ta'ala describes over there. And if you find yourself in a situation that is more like this Surah Muhammad Sallallahu then you will, you will uh, do what is done here. And certainly there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim that later on uh, that there were 80 people from Makkans who had climbed this mount of Tanim and they wanted to attack the Prophet ﷺ but then the Prophet ﷺ when he captured all of them and after the Prophet captured all of them then he set all of them free. Right? Uh, so, and that's coming uh, a little bit later in the next surah Surah Al-Fat that whole story about that. So you have this notion of setting free, you have this notion of imprisoning, you have this notion of keeping them imprisoned, you have a notion of keeping them imprisoned, you have a notion of ransoming, you have a notion of execution. There are many different possibilities that the deen of Islam has allowed over here. Right? It also depends on, you know, what you really think will happen if you set them free, or you think they're going to come back against you, or do you think that they won't. So it's really left up to the Amir Mu'mineen that he has to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I mentioned to you the concept of Amir and Shura yesterday as well. Here then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he said that if Allah ta'ala willed, he could have exacted revenge from them, what does that mean? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have himself punished them, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to have this process of jihad to test to test some of you with others, what does that mean? So some believers will be tested, that who are the munafikeen and who won't go for jihad, and who are mu'minin who will go for jihad. It also means that some of the kuffar will be tested. How is that? Because when the kuffar went, and this is the reason a lot of people converted after Fatih Makkah, because in Badr and Uhud they saw the miraculous help that the Muslims got on the battlefield. And when they saw that, even though they didn't believe at the moment of Badr, but that stayed with them, and they, they, that was the reason why they believed after Fatih Makkah. So similarly today actually, if a person was to uh, you know, fight aggression and defend oneself in that sense against every injustice and transgressor and if Allah Ta'ala's ghaybi madad the nusr were to come then people would see that and many times, you know, when you have these cases of, you know Abu Ghraib soldiers and Guantanamo Bay guards and server soldiers who served in Iraq and Afghanistan all four of the above you have categories and all four categories people who have accepted Islam serving military people in the American army who have accepted Islam after being guards at Guantanamo Bay can you imagine that? You can Google that. You can see that person's interview. It's ajeeb, right? So sometimes when in this engagement, the unbeliever sees the nur and the truth of Islam, so that is another way that you can take this ayah, that to test some of them at others. Test, uh, to, to test some of them by means of others. Then very off-recited ayah, verse number 7, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu in tansulullaha yansurkum wa yuthabbit aqdamakum 
or you believe if you help Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed Allah ta'ala will help you, and Allah ta'ala literally will make you firm on your feet, means He will make you steadfast on your deen. Now what does this mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously does not need anybody's help. Helping Allah ta'ala here is a metaphorical expression. It means help the deen of Allah, help the uh, help deen of Islam, help the people of Allah, help the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we stand up for our deen, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would stand up for us and send His special madad and nusrat on us. On it. Verse number 8 onwards. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَتَعْسَنْ لَهُمْ وَأَذَلَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ And those who disbelieve, then Allah subhanahu wa will have misery and destruction for them, and Allah subhanahu wa will cause all of their works and actions to be lost. This is because they strongly dislike and detest مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ what Allah subhanahu wa has revealed to me, they hate the Qur'an al-Kareem and Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu And therefore Allah subhanahu wa will make their works fruitless, will lay all their deeds to waste. أَفَلَمْ يُسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Have they not traveled on the surf? فَيُنْدُرُ كَيْفَ كَانَ أَكْمَتُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ كَمْلِهِمْ Have they not gazed and seen what was the outcome and how those who were before them ended up دَمَّرَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ And indeed Allah subhanahu wa destroyed them, sent His destruction and annihilation upon them. وَلَلْكَافِرِينَ أَمْثَالُهَا And indeed the disbelievers will have amthal, the disbelievers will have the like of that. They will face the same type of destruction and annihilation. The same will happen to them. This is because Allah subhanahu is the mawla, means Allah subhanahu is the protecting friend of those who believe. وَأَنَّ الْكَافِرِينَ لَا مَوْلَ لَهُمْ And the disbelievers, they have no patron, they have no protecting friend. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُدْخُلُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَعْتَ الْنَهَارِ Indeed, Allah Ta'ala will admit those who believe and do righteous actions into gardens underneath which rivers flow. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And those who disbelieve. يَتَمَتَّعُونَ وَيَأْكُلُونَ كَمَا تَأْكُلُ الْأَنْآمُ that they are just going to enjoy themselves on earth. They're enjoying themselves on earth for a while. And the way Allah Ta'ala describes that enjoyment in stern terms, they eat the way their cattle and livestock eat. They eat the way their animals eat. Now what does this mean? Uh, here by this Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala means that they eat without any looking at what's halal or haram, what's tayyib and najis, because animals don't have any consideration of that, nor they have any consideration of halal earnings or haram earnings, so they're doing that. Or it's also referred to just in a general way that they eat like animals, means generally they are like animals. So it's the same thing in terms of their lust and their cohabitation, just like animals don't have, except very rare species, by and large animals have no concept of marriage, fidelity, loyalty. They do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, with whomever they want. So the disbelievers are like that in that same way as well. So Allah Ta'ala says then the fire of Jahannam will be their abode. Then how many were the towns that were more powerful than yours? And oh, Ahl Makkah, there are so many communities that were more powerful than you. Allati Akhrajatka, and this town that drove you out, mean, because remember this is a Madani Surah, it's post Hijra, so this town means that Makkah Makkah is a town that drove out Sayyidina Rasulullah, Ahlaknahum, we destroyed all of those other earlier towns that were more powerful, Fala Nasir and there was no one to assist those earlier towns. Can that person who is on a clear evidence and proof from their Rabb, 
can that person ever be like to whom all of their evil deeds have been beautified and adorned yani by shaitan or by the world or by their nafs and what do they do? They follow their own desires and whims. So this is a concept that we had done earlier, that people who follow their own whims and desires, and because of that, then whatever they desire seems beautiful, even if it's sin, so all the sins and vices and mistakes they do appear, appear as beautiful and virtuous to them. Those people can never be like the ones who are following a clear bayana and an evidence and proof from their love. That the likeness of Jannah that has been promised to the people of Taqwa. So what is that? So in that Jannah, fiha anharum, in that there are rivers and streams, asin, and it is from a water that will never, never be brackish, will never spoil, will never contaminate. So what are those? Those are four types of rivers. I think I mentioned this to you once before. Well, anharum min laban. Number one, there will be. Uh, yes, number one, there will be rivers of milk and lam ta'muhu, and it is a milk literally the taste of which never changes means just like in milk and this word spoils over time and the taste changes depending how fresh it is and the milk the streams and rivers of milk of Jannah won't be like that they will, it will be milk the like of which milk such that its taste never changes and the second is that it will be rivers and streams of wine uh, no, that's third. First was rivers of water, second is rivers of milk, third, one haram and khamrin, and third is rivers of wine, lazatin lisharibin, which will be of absolute tasteful delight and pleasure to those who will drink it. And then the fourth is that there will be streams of honey musaffa, uh, pure honey. Of the purest, most distilled honey. And in that the people of Jannah will have every single type of fruit. And they will have absolute forgiveness for every single thing they did in the past and their life of this world from the Rabb. Can people who are like that in such a Jannah with four such rivers who are forgiven by the Rabb, can they be like Manhua Khalzan Finnar who is dwelling and remaining inside the fire of Jahannam? Hamima and they will be made to drink uh, boiling water. Such a boiling water Fakatta such a boiling water that it tears their innards to sheds, it lacerates their guts, it destroys their innards. Right? So can these two ever be similar? So this is Allah drawing these two parables. Alright, here you should remember that when we talk about these rivers, uh, this we did for you earlier, but uh, it's also come, it came in Surah Safat, Surah 37, that the river of wine will neither produce headaches nor will they be intoxicated with it. It won't be like the wine of this world. Right? And more on this wine is going to come in Surah Waqiya. Alright? Some ulama have also gone to try to identify who are the people who will drink from the river of milk and who will drink from the river of water and who will drink from the river of wine and who will drink from the river of honey. Allah Ta'ala knows best. And it's not real necessarily the case that only one will drink from one but most likely everybody will drink from all four. But it shows uh, that water, milk, honey and wine uh, are the four rivers that will be in Jannah. 
as far as those who follow Hidayah, Zadhum Hudan, that Allah Ta'ala will increase them, Zadhum Hudan wa Atahum Taqwahum. Allah Ta'ala will increase them in their Hidayah, and Allah Ta'ala will grant Taqwa to them. This is a very important thing. So the first thing is that the hypocrites, the first thing they did is that they feign, they fake listen to the Prophet So they sit there, Yastamit. Yes, they are sitting there as if they're listening to you intently. They do sit and listen to you intently. But when they depart from you, they just uh, turn back to their hypocritical friends and they say, what is it that he just said? means that they don't really believe in it whatsoever. Alright? <coughs> and then as those who follow Hidayah, so verse 17, I can't comment it in detail because of time, but you can briefly see that if you follow Hidayah, then Allah Ta'ala will give you more Hidayah. And it's only when you follow the Hidayah that you know, and then on the basis of that, that you get more Hidayah, that then you will reach Taqwa. So most people think it's the other way around. The first level of Taqwa, if I have Taqwa, I will obey Allah Ta'ala. If when and if and whenever I get Taqwa, then I will follow the No. First follow, Ihtado. First follow whatever you know, whatever you can. Then Allah Ta'ala will give you more Hidayah. And then by doing that following Hidayah, getting more Hidayah, then you will end up on Taqwa. Taqwa is the destination. Taqwa is not the precondition. Right? Okay. Verse number 18. So are they waiting for anything other than Qiyamah? Indeed, the signs of Qiyamah have already arrived. Then how will they be reminded of that when Qiyamah, how will that reminder benefit them when Qiyamah dawns upon them, when it comes upon them all at once? What are the signs of Qiyamah that have come at this time, at the 14 years ago when the Quran came being revealed? So the coming of Sayyidina Rasulullah himself is the advent of the coming of Qiyamah, as I mentioned to you, because the last and final prophet and messenger, last and final book, last and final deen, and also in Surah 54, Surah Qamara, which is coming in a few days. This is the uh, splitting of the moon, which happened in the lifetime, which the Prophet did in his lifetime. This has also been mentioned in the Quran as a sign of the Day of Judgment, but the signs are of no benefit if a person is not able to heed from them. That they should know that indeed there is no God except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ That, O Nabi Akrisam, you should make a stick far for yourself. وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ And you, Prophet should make a stick far for the believing men and women. وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ مُتَقَلَّبَكُمْ وَمَثْوَاكُمْ Literally means in Allah Ta'ala knows your comings and goings. Uh, and وَمَثْوَاكُمْ And Allah Ta'ala knows your dwellings. I will explain that. In a, in a moment to you. First here, that Sayyidina Rasulullah is being asked to make a stikfar. It doesn't mean, this is not proof in Quran that Nabi Yuqtim was a sinner in Auzu Billah. It means for whatever errors in judgment, and occasionally the Prophet had made some mistakes in judgment, which Allah Ta'ala had pointed out to him, but because he is a prophet, when we, we as human, normal non-prophetic humans, we only have to seek forgiveness for sins. But the Prophets, because they're free from sin, but for them, even errors in judgment or something, that they have, us, they have to ask Allah SWT to forgive them. But another important thing here, and this is a very important ayah, which we would love to 
try to impress on your hearts even more. But again, Surah Muhammad Sallallahu Surah 47, verse 19. So who is Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu He is the one who made istikthar lil mu'mineen wal mu'minat. Obviously the Prophet did everything Allah Ta'ala told him to do. And here Allah Ta'ala is telling him to make istikthar for the believing men and the believing women. So we are mu'mineen and mu'minat means that our Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sought forgiveness for our sins before that we did it. This is the real thing. This is what the Jews, mis- uh, the Christians misunderstood about Islam, that he died for our sins, or his crucif- crucifixion, salvation for our sins. No, a prophet can't do that. But what a prophet can do is make istighfar for the believing men and women. Right? And this alone is, should be impetus and motivation for a person to offer heartfelt durood and salawat to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam that my Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu has made istighfar for me, made istighfar for all mu'mineen, he made istighfar for mu'minat, and here Allah subhanahu said that the women would feel it directly, although they would have been included in mu'mineen, but Allah added the word mu'minat, so it would be clear that Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam sought the forgiveness of Allah Ta'ala for all of the believing men and women, so it befits him that all the believing men and women should be true to his nubuwa, and this is why the surah is named after him, that they should follow his sunnah, live according to his seerah, they should model themselves after him, they should send rood and salawat after him, because their Nabi has already sought the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa for their sins. And the last thing was that Allah Ta'ala knows your coming and going and knows your abode. Abode means Allah Ta'ala knows where you will end up in terms of the akhirah. And coming and going means Allah Ta'ala knows you're moving about in the places you reside in, means Allah Ta'ala knows your movements in this world, as well as your resting place in the Akhirah. Verse 20, We surat. Okay, those who believe they say that why hasn't Allah SWT revealed a surah? What does that mean? What they meant was that at one point they asked the Prophet why isn't a surah come with more rulings and more commands and specifically, uh, so, so they're asking that they're asking for more revelation. So then Allah Ta'ala then says, now shifting to the munafiqeen, فَإِذَا أُنزِلَ سُورَةٌ muhkama That when a clear, decisive surah, any chapter of Qur'an is revealed, but, وَذُكِرَ فِيهَا الْكِتَالِ But fighting is mentioned in it. The commandment and injunction to fight against aggression and be willing to be slain in the path of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. When that is mentioned in it, رَأَيْتَ الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ That you, Prophet you will see that those in whose hearts is a marad. And this here is referred to the marad of nifaq. Those in whose hearts have the disease of hypocrisy. They don't like the surah. So what happens with the sincere believers, let me explain, what happened was the sincere mu'maneen, they went to the Prophet and was like, when is the surah going to be revealed? When are we going to get more kalamullah? When are we going to get more revelation? And the munafiqin, they saw this, so they started doing knuckle, so they also joined in and said, when are we going to get more revelation? Or some say the munafiqin were doing tons, that they were mocking that, yes, when is, why isn't the revelation coming? So then Allah saying, but when we send down a surah, and in that surah it's decisive, clear surah that mentions the commandments to do kital, to fight for the sake of fight aggression and transgression and justice in the name of and for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then munafiq can get parishan. Oh, that's not the type of surah that we wanted. That's what it says. That's what you'll see that those in whose hearts are the mothers of hypocrisy, yandruna ilayka nadar al-magshi, they're looking to and fro and they, they look you know, they look with the look of a person who al-magshi alayhi min al-mawt 
that death is overcoming them. Their faces become pale and they start looking as if death has overcome them. They're in the swoon of death or the thralls of death or the throat of death. Uh, but you know, But what would have been better for them? What would have been more worthy and more preferable for them would be ta'a, would be pure just obedience to whatever has been revealed in the surah, and to have a courteous, good word uh, to say about the commands that Allah Ta'ala has revealed. And then when Allah Ta'ala says when the matter is resolved, means when the decree is passed, when the matter is resolved, Allah Ta'ala decrees it. And if, uh, if only if they had been true to, if only they had been true to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, then it would surely have been good for them. فَهَلْ أَسَيْتُمْ إِن تَوَلَّيْتُمْ That is it possible that if you, now this is referring to you those manafikun, that if we had put you manafikun in authority, then you would do violence on earth, right? تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ You would spend facade on earth. وَتُكَتِّئُوا أَرْحَامَكُمْ And you would sever the family ties. You would spread facade, sedition and corruption on earth and you would sever family ties. What does it mean that this is the, what would happen if munafikeen ever get in authority or power on earth? That facade will happen and family ties will break. So these are people whom Allah Ta'ala has cursed. That He has made them deaf. And He has blinded their sight. Means He has made them blind. And do they not do they not ponder over, reflect upon the Qur'an? Am ala Do they have akfaluha? Are they locks? Or are there locks that are set on their hearts? Okay. What does this mean? The true mu'min, when the verse was, when the chapter was revealed on jihad, was happy, and the munafiq, who is in heart with the disease of hypocrisy, was sad. Right? Uh, okay, there's another way to translate this. That if... If the munafikun were given authority, that would happen. Or, it also means that if you were, just as you were averse to jihad, you would also spread fasad and you would break the family ties. This concept of pondering over the Qur'an, this is first of all being addressed to the munafikin, right? And this is a rhetorical thing. That they can't because locks have been set on their hearts because of the mudas that they had. But if you took this in umum, yes, it means that a person should be able to reflect upon Qur'an unless there is a lock on their heart. That indeed those who have turned on their backs after Hidai has been made clear to them, then what has happened a shaitan has sawalalhum wa amlalahum that shaitan has Shaitan has beautified their sins for them, has made suggestions to them, and Shaitan has prolonged their hopes. What does it mean that whatever they do in this world, Shaitan makes it beautiful to them, makes their sins alluring, or he's tempted them into sin, and he prolongs their hopes, makes them make long plans, or as one is translated as far-fetched fancies. Why? That is because they say to those who detest Allah's revelation that we shall follow you in some matters, 
we should follow you in some manners but Allah knows the secret conversations they have with one another what does that mean that they would say to one another uh, these hypocrites they will follow some of it which means they won't follow some of it but Allah knows their secret conversations they have behind the back of the Prophet and then Allah mentions their condition when they will die فَكَيْفَ إِذْ تَوَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ يَذْرِبُونَ وَجُوهَهُمْ وَأَدْبَارُهُمْ Then what will be their condition and how about when when the angels will come and claim their souls striking their faces and their backs striking or smiting literally dharb, right? Hitting their faces and their backs. This also has come earlier in Quran that this is the way Allah subhanahu will take the souls of the disbelievers and munafikeen that is because they have done things and followed things that incensed Allah that made Allah Ta'ala enraged Allah Ta'ala angered Allah Ta'ala and they themselves despise what is pleasing to Allah Ta'ala so they follow what makes Allah Ta'ala angry and they themselves despise Ridwanahu, they despise the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala and all that is pleasing to Him. فَأَحْبَتَ أَعْمَالُهُمْ So then all of their deeds will go to waste. Alright. 29-38 Last few ayat of the surah so we can finish the surah today. Then go over this with a little bit of speed. Alright. But this here up to now Allah mentioned that the kufar will be punished right at the moment of their death with the angels smiting them and that punishment will last throughout all of the stages until they end up in the permanent abode. So do those in whose hearts is a sickness think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not that Allah subhanahu will not draw out or expose their malice and their hatred. So what does it mean? On the one hand it means that if Allah Ta'ala says, if we wished, we would have shown them to you. And you would recognize them by their mark or by their features. Yet surely you will certainly recognize them in the tone of their speech. And Allah Ta'ala knows all of your deeds. What does this mean? Now, originally Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala did not show the Prophet who the Munafiqeen were. Then Allah Ta'ala revealed to Sayyidina Rasulullah who they were, but he concealed that information from the rest of the Sahaba. Here Allah Ta'ala, that's the will of Allah Ta'ala, but here Allah is making it clear that you will be able to detect them anyway because of the tone of their speech. So this is a very important teaching. That you can tell somebody who is insincere towards you simply by the tone and manner in which they speak to you. Their insincerity and hypocrisy will be revealed. Mujahideen aminkum Wasabireen Wanablu akhbarukum Allah Ta'ala says that indeed we will certainly test you Until we can see Hatta na'lam al-mujahideen aminkum Until we can then ascertain and know who are the mujahideen from amongst you Wasabireen and who are the ones who are steadfast in patience Wanablu wa akhbarukum Then Allah Ta'ala says that uh, we will also we will bring out certain facts about you. So what does this mean? So first of all, Mujahideen literally means those who follow the ahkam of jihad. And it first and foremost means that over here. And second, uh, Sabreen is also a sifat, uh, those who are steadfast 
and who remain firm on the deen and all of this is that so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may uh, examine um, the mujahideen and sabreen can be understood literally as is meant here but can mean in any sense those who carry out uh, any type of mujahid or struggle in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and observe any type of patience whatsoever and then Allah ta'ala says that He will examine our akhbar means Allah ta'ala will examine our deeds that is the end of verse 31. Verses 32. Inna ladhina kafaru wa sandu an sabillah. Indeed those who disbelieve and stop from the path of Allah subhanahu wa shaqul rasulah. This is important ayah and those who min ba'di ma tabayyana lahum al-huda lain yadhurrullah shay'a wa sayyuh bitu a'maluhum. Okay, this is verse number 32. Yeah, those who disbelieve and stop you from the path of Allah and they contend with the Prophet after guidance has been made clear to them they will never be able to harm Allah in any way and in fact all of their actions will come to will come to naught will be lost Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu Oh you have iman Ati'ullah wa ati'ul rasula You should obey Allah and also distinctly obey Nabi Akram Sallallahu means you must follow the Quran Akram and the Sunnah of Nabi Akram Sallallahu Alaihi and you should not do anything that will make your deeds go null and void do not do anything that will falsify or make your actions in vain don't invalidate what you do and indeed those who disbelieve and stop you from the path of Allah and then they die in such a state and they are indeed they will die in such a when they die, then they die in such a state that they are disbelievers that Allah will surely never ever forgive them so this is an ashar that if they can even if they disbelieved even if they stop people from the path of Allah Ta'ala if they can make sure they don't die in such a state yani if they repent then Allah Ta'ala will forgive them however if they die in such a state that they are disbelievers then Allah Ta'ala will never ever lain lan when it comes on this verb it means never ever and that's what it means that they will enter in Jahannam forever okay means that you should never um, Okay, literally it means that you should not waver or you should not flag and you should not call for a truce. وَأَنْتُمُ الْأَعْلَوْنَ Because indeed you will be dominant. وَاللَّهُ مَاكُمْ And Allah SWT is with you. وَلَنْ يَتْرِكَكُمْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ And then Allah Ta'ala will never ever uh, leave your deeds. He will never cancel your deeds. He will never cheat you out of your deeds. Alright. So... Don't lose heart, do not appeal for peace, you will be the uppermost and Allah is with you and He will never deprive you of your deeds. Alright. What is going on over here? So first of all, uh, verse number 33, that do not invalidate your deeds. What does that mean? Right? If a person has Iman and Amal Saleh, how can they invalidate or nullify their deeds? They nullify our deeds by doing sin. And especially when we do major sins. So minor sins don't nullify good deeds. Major sins nullify good deeds. Not in the sense that, you know, you will lose the record of Salah, but major sins nullify the nur of the good deeds. 
major sins nullify the atharat of amal. Major sins when we do them, they take away the qurb that we got with Allah subhanahu with amal. So here Allah subhanahu is saying, and this is a very important ayah for people like us, right? That we have iman, namaz, ruza, turba, we do it. But then we also do sins. And those sins end up nullifying the benefit of those a'mal, the nur of those a'mal, the barakah of those a'mal. So what is the best of them? We should believe, obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obey the Messenger sallallahu and don't do anything that will invalidate our deeds. Okay, next I already uh, commented on that, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forgive them and what does that mean? Then the last verse was that the Allah Ta'ala just the Mu'min that don't weaken, don't flag and don't call for a truce. What does this mean? Right? That the Muslim on the battlefield can never concede defeat. Never. Either you get victory or you get martyrdom. There's no question of defeat. When you're engaged in battle, don't get married, you can have treaties, you can have sulah, peace settlements, negotiation, that's off the battlefield. When they're on the battlefield, the Muslim can never give up. The Muslim will never wave the white flag on the battlefield. The Muslim will... And obviously, one reason for this is... One of the major reasons for this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, that Allah ta'ala is with you. Now, in such a battle where Allah ta'ala is with you, Wallahu ma'akum. So obviously, this means this is the just war. This is the just and justified battle and war. That is what Allah Ta'ala wills us, for do, us to do. So when Allah Ta'ala wills us to do that, we can never retreat, we can never wave the white flag, we can never call for a truce. Either we will be met with victory, or we will be met with martyrdom. But what does Allah Ta'ala say? You will be a'lawn, you will be ghalib, you will be dominant, you will be victorious. Alright? And Allah Ta'ala will never uh, deprive of our deeds. So this is a teaching. Now again, this is a teaching telling those people who are engaged in the just war to be steadfast, that they should never give up, they should not lose courage, they should not be grieved, they should not weaken, they should not flag. They should remain steadfast in their iman and yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant them the promised victory because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with them. Right? And the last thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant everybody the full reward for all of their deeds. And we've done this before, the Antas, indeed the life of this world is mere play and amusement. We could comment on that, but we've commented on it before. Laib and lahu is something that we've done. So if you have iman, and you have taqwa, to iman and taqwa, then yotukum ujurakum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bestow upon you and grant you and give you the reward for all of your deeds. وَلَا يَسْأَلُكُمْ أَمْوَالَكُمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not, literally means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not ask you for your wealth. Uh, means Allah ta'ala will not ask you for your riches. Alright. Mal can also mean your property, assets, belongings. It doesn't always necessarily have to mean wealth. So here we did this in Surah Ankabut in detail. Surah 29 verse 64. What? Laib and Lahaz, right? The basically the world is futile, it is vain, it is just a play. What does this mean? What it means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allows you then to spend your money on yourself. Obviously other than zakat, right? But other than that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not ask you of all of your wealth, property, possessions, belongings. You're allowed to spend on that of yourself. So the rubbed in this ayah. 
The world is but play and amusement. So that doesn't mean you should never spend on anything or do anything, right? What Allah SWT is saying here is the life of this world, the futile, pointless, vain things in this world are just play and amusement. But if you have Iman and you have Taqwa, then the person has Iman and Taqwa, and then they can spend on whatever they want in this world, they have to give their zakat, but then they won't be asked about their wealth when they spend it on the halal, and it won't be an issue, won't count for them as play and amusement. Because the understanding here is the person who has iman and taqwa will spend on the tayyibat of this world, on the khidmat of this world, up to reasonable comfort, but will not do israf, it will not spend on the wasteful thing on this world. Then until it continues it in, in yas. Yeah. That if Allah Ta'ala was to ask you for your wealth, that if Allah Ta'ala had demanded your wealth from you, and then what would have happened? You would have become miserly. You wouldn't have given it. And then when you did that, then Allah Ta'ala would have exposed your heart's dissatisfaction uh, you would have withheld that wealth and then it would have brought out your heart's dissatisfaction or the grudges of your heart ha antum so therefore you should behold that you are the very ones who have been summoned and asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to spend in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you should spend in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يَبْخَلْ however from amongst you there are those who are stingy وَمَنْ يَبْخَلْ That person who is stingy فَإِنَّمَا يَبْخَلُ عَنْ نَفْسِهِ That he is only being stingy to his own soul. What does it mean that he is being stingy about giving swab to his own self? He is being stingy about sending, uh, creating a good offer for himself. So stinginess and miserliness is only going to be to his own temperament. And, and next, وَاللَّهُ الْغَنِيُّ And Allah SWT is free from needing you. Allah SWT is entirely independent and self-sufficient. وَأَنْتُمُ الْفُقَرَى But it is you who need. So actually, human beings, that we need to give charity because we need to give it for our own good. Allah SWT does not need that charity in any way. وَإِن تَتَوَلَّوْ And if you were to turn away from Allah SWT, then what would happen? يَسْتَبْدِلْ قَوْمًا غَيْرُكُمْ Allah Ta'ala would replace you, substitute you with another قوم, with another people لَا يَكُونُوا أَمْثَالُكُمْ And they would not be like you, meaning they wouldn't be stingy. So this is then Allah Ta'ala making clear how strongly He views uh, people who don't donate in charity or give zakat and how strongly He views majlis. And yes, you will find people today who are so bakheel, who are so stingy, literally they cannot give that 2.5% zakat, especially on gold or jewelry that they have, or because they calculate and they just can't believe it. They have 10 lakhs of jewelry, but the prospect of giving uh, 25,000, yes. <laughs> the prospect of giving just 25,000 appalls them, and appalls them because they think I have to give it, because they don't plan to even let go of that jewelry. It's purely extraneous wealth. I've explained this to you before. The God is that if a person is so wealthy, that they have purely superfluous wealth. How superfluous of it is to their calculating mind, it's so extra, actually I'm planning to keep it for 20 years. Right? That's how much extra gold I have. It's going to be with me for 20 years. And if I have to pay 25,000 every year for 20 years, then that I'll end up in 5 lakhs. Right? And that's like half the value of the gold. What am I going to do? Right? So then they don't pay it at all. 
Or similarly, a person like that is with the land, that they, a piece of land they've kept as investment property that I bought it for one crore and I'm just going to keep it for 20 years. Well, yes, you have to give 2.5% and I won't even try to do that. Just because I can do that, but I don't. I always forget how many zeros are in a crore because we work in millions and thousands and crores. Something like in between is either 10 million or I don't know what it is, right? So, but then they calculate that. So that's the type of stinginess. Allah SWT doesn't need your zakat. Allah doesn't need your sadaqah. And your stinginess will only be to the harm of your own self. So this was the end of the surah. And, you know, uh, when Allah SWT said that He can raise a nation, uh, I can substitute you and raise another nation. Some historians, historians, I just shared this one last thing with you before we end. Some historians have said that the, when you look at the history, it's difficult to very, I mean, I can't really do this to you for your brief, but when you look at the history of Islamic civilization, when you take a panoramic, holistic view of Islamic civilization, especially in Ulum al-Din, you will see that the center of ilm was first Makkah Medina. Then Allah Ta'ala moved it outward to Baghdad, Kufa, still amongst the Arabs. Then Allah Ta'ala moved it to the Persians, as early as the 2nd century. For example, all of these great, many muhaddithin were Persians, right? Uh, in fact, the compilers of all six, quote-unquote, six collections, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam Abu Daud, Imam Nasai, Imam Ibn Maj, Imam Timothy, each and every one was a Persian. Imam Muslim was a Persian of some level of Arab descent, so he is the only one you could say that was Arab. The others were all non-Arab. Imam Tirmidhi and Bukhari was Uzbek, and Imam Muslim and Imam Nasai and Ibn Majah were Persian. Uh, but either way, the point is, and Imam Adul was also Persian, but they were non-Arabs, and you had it moved to the Persia and Central Asia, what in, our, in Arabic we call Ma'awada al-Nahar. And some say even then the height of Islamic Asia moved, and you will be happy to hear this, to Delhi, and then to the South Asian continent, and then you had great ulama, you know, Shah Waliullah Ramtandai, Muhammad Abbaan, Sheikh Hamasir Hindi Ramtandai, uh, many, many great ulama, who came out from uh, this part, Khwaja Muhyiddin, Shishti Allah, who came out from this part of the world. So some, uh, but it is certainly, uh, the contribution of non-Arab ulama to deen is something, that is another story for another time. Alhamdulillah, we finished this surah as well today. Reminder again for you that tomorrow, uh, those of you who are strong, however you want to view yourselves, right? And tomorrow too, Surah Al-Hujurat, which is a major surah, we will be doing that tomorrow afternoon. And Sunday, day after tomorrow afternoon, we will be doing Surah Rahman and Surah Waqiyah. Uh, again, you know, Surah Waqiyah is very important in terms of its content. Surah Rahman also important, mostly known for its beauty, but given that people recite it often, we feel it's important that you should know about its meanings as well. Right? Perhaps you will be able to appreciate more than just the beauty of its rhyme when you know the beauty of its meaning. Subhanallah <laughs> 
Kareem on this blessed day of Jummah, on this blessed month of Ramadan, on this blessed time from the time of Asraf to the time of sunset, where your Nabi Kareem some said that you especially accept our du'as, and we have come to you in the state of fasting. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept our tawbah for all of the sins that we ever did. Ya Allah, we ask that you put a true love for you in our heart, a love for deen in our heart, a love for Quran in our heart, a love for Nabi Kareem wasallam in our heart. Ya Allah, we ask that you take out all the unlawful loves, all the unlawful lusts, all the unlawful memories, all the unlawful feelings from our heart. Ya Allah, we ask that you protect us from all of the gift-wrapped sin, all of the alluring sin, all of the attractive sin, all of the temptations of shaitan, all of the fitness of the nafs, all of the facade in this world. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you bring us khalisatan mukhlisan onto deen, make us onto kafatan completely, entirely into deen. Ya Allah, make us people of iman, make us people of taqwa, make us people of taslim, of submission and obedience. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, accept our fast in this month of Ramadan, accept our salah in this month of Ramadan, accept our du'as in Ramadan. Ya Allah, surely there are so many of us who are coming once again to you on this month, who are praying to you anew, who are turning to you after a long time. Ya Allah, we ask that you keep us connected to you, keep us attached to you, keep us attached to our musallah, keep us attached to our musaf of Qur'an, keep us attached to the gatherings of deen, the places of deen, the people of deen, the knowledge of deen, keep us attached always to the feelings and yearnings of deen. Ya Allah, even if this month will surely end, we want that our love for you should never end, our desire for you should never end, our attachment to you should never end. Ya Allah, in this month that ends, we ask that you give us an unending attachment to deen and an unending love for you. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Rabbana takamal minna innaka anta samil alim, وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا رحمة الله